Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello everybody, it's Wednesday, June 5th, 2013, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Steve Say, Mr. Bob Ryer, Aloha, and joining us once again, Talking Comics contributor Joey Braccino. Hello everybody, good to be back. Joey, thank you so much. Uh, Stephanie was under the weather today, Joey filled in a pinch, so thank you so much, Joey. No problem. Uh, So how have you been since last time you were on the show? I've been good, reading comics, grading tons of student papers, coming up on the end of the year, which is always exciting for any teacher. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So what is that like as a teacher, having that summer off? Is it pretty awesome? Not really, because, I mean, uh, you, you you get into a kind of cycle of things. You go in, you teach every day, and it's something that hopefully you enjoy doing, and then you're kind of away from it. For a while, um, and that's why you see a lot of teachers, you know, doing something else over the summer, whether it's summer camp or I'm going to be doing some some theater stuff over the summer, and again, reading more comics and catching up on stuff that I've I've missed out on. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure come September I'll be saying, "Get me back in the classroom." So interesting, cool. So uh, what theater stuff are you doing? Uh, we're uh, me and a, a few other teachers, or a few other teachers and I, are um, <laughs> starting up a, a theater company for, for the students uh, in, our, in the district that we teach to do some t- a theater show over the, over the summer. Cool. Are you going like a, a, are you gonna, are you gonna to do a whole play, or is it going to be like a, more of like a variety thing? Uh, it's going to be a musical uh, over the summer. Uh, we haven't yet decided the specifics of it, but we want to include some kind of instructional aspect to it mm-hmm. so that it feels like the kids are getting something out of it gotcha a musical version of the punisher would be great yeah (laughs) that would be actually fantastic (laughs) (laughs) uh did anybody else see that uh they're making a fan film out of uh, the rucka run uh i saw the listing didn't see the preview though yeah it's uh it's a very short teaser but it looks cool looks really really cool yeah he actually put it up i i donated to the lady saber kickstarter and and in one of the updates he sent out uh, he sent out the link to the, the trailer. He's like, there's nothing to do with me. It just looks really awesome. Nice. Wait, Greg like, Rooka did that? Yeah. Wow. See, yeah. I was wondering when I saw the teaser, I was like, is this a copyright thing? <laughs> I think it's just, I think because there's no, there's no money being made off of it. It's like all its other right. fan films, you know. Uh, but it looks very high quality. It looks like the people know what they're doing as far as the, the, the fan film goes. Um, yeah, uh, look, that looked pretty cool. Uh, I, I also, this this week... Uh, I read the, obviously the books came out this week, but I've been reading a whole shit ton of Superman stories because I'm writing an article uh, about five Superman stories to read uh, with the Men of Steel, and I uh, this week alone I read All Star Superman, <clears throat> um, I read Superman Birthright, I read Superman Red Sun, I read uh, the, Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, 
for the man who has everything, uh, Superman Brainiac, which is one of the Jeff Johns uh, arcs, uh, and I'm just about done with the death of Superman right now. Uh, so I've read a lot of Superman in the last week, uh, and but but what it has done is, by the time I finished, like I think, oh, I read, reread Kingdom Come, sorry as well. Uh, so what happened was is somewhere around Red Sun, which is probably like the third or fourth run I I read, it was, for the first time ever really because it's the first time I ever really kind of immersed myself in any kind of Superman stuff. I really found a love for the character, and I'll be I'm reading all the really good stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm reading the, all the best stuff, but. Uh, you know, I began to see like the, you, you know, we, we read a lot of books, you read a lot of Fantastic Four, you read a lot of Batman, you begin to see the repeated themes that happen there. And I guess I never really understood the repeated themes in Superman. And as I started to absorb those, I, I started to find this love for the character. And also it got me upset that there wasn't Got me upset and then excited because I was like, oh, there's no Superman book to read month to month right now that it's this good. But we have the Scott Center one coming in a, in a month. So yeah. I was like, oh, right. I, gotta, I can pick up. Uh, but, you know, the it's and it's amazing the differences between all the stories. There mm-hmm. are some similarities. It seems like all the best Superman stories are either this is the first Superman story or this is the last Superman story. That seems to be like the, the, the how they do them the best. Um I mean, I haven't read Man of Steel yet, the John Byrne one, but it's on my you list. Read that. You yeah. should also pick up. It was a giant tabloid side. Mm. Once it's Paul Dini and Alex Ross. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was looking at when I was looking through Superman stories. That's one of the ones that that came up. But Birthright was awesome. You know, it, it, it's Mark Wade. We talk the hell out of Mark Wade all the time, but uh, it does it does all those same things. You know, it's 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 a fun action story, but it's so deep the character and. There's a moment at the right end of the book, like the last the, the last page of the book, it hits you like a fucking anvil in the heart. Like, you know, <laughs> it, like just out of nowhere. You don't expect it to come, and it's it's not even from a character you'd expect. It's just this one little moment that's set up in the first issue that gets paid off in the last issue, and it's just like, that's what it, you know, that, well, it's you're like, that's what it's all about. Right. Uh, it's been great, though. You know, uh, I love, the Alan Moore stuff was fantastic. The Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Yeah, it's a great, great issue. Right before the John Byrne relaunch, right, right after the crisis, it's, the, it's like the last Superman story. They find out what his identity is. Tie everything up in a little bow. Yeah, and he kind of takes all his friends, the Fortress of Solitude, and barricades them in there. And Brainiac and Lex Luthor kind of come to like, we're going to tear down th- these walls and, mm-hmm. and take you out and finally kill Superman. And it's this just a story of him, you know, fighting back and what what does it mean and all this other stuff. And then... Uh, and there's this ending moment where he does something that's not very Superman, so he goes away. It is, you know, it's not this epic like I'm gonna, I'm gonna die thing. It's just I can't be Superman anymore. Uh, really wonderful story. And you know, you the thing about Alan Moore is what you read of his, it all has that certain quality. There's definitely this, you know, uh, Watchmen like quality to it in some ways because it's very like it's like a mystery. Like who is this? How did they find out about this? Great, great stuff. Uh, and Red Sun was amazing. I just, uh, I, I could, it blew me away. It's an Elseworlds story, but it's mm-hmm. great. Well, it's interesting you're talking about there's nothing to read now. Yeah. One, one of our listeners, uh, Professor Carolyn Coco, was mm. out at the Denver Comic Con and right. went to a George Perez panel. And someone asked him about, you know, what happened with Superman. He described it as, you know, one of the most frustrating experiences he ever had on a book. He wanted to do something big the way he had done with Wonder Woman mm-hmm. and the reboot. Mm-hmm. And was hamstrung by DC. Yeah, wow. can't do this, can't say that. We got to wait to see what Grant Morrison does. Mm-hmm. You'd, so he'd go ask Grant. Mm-hmm. Are the Kents dead? What's yeah. going on? I don't know. Well, <laughs> how am I supposed to do a book? And yeah, he yeah. was just okay. So I'll trunge along month after month doing 
not much. Yeah. Because right. he had nowhere to know what what their end game was. Yeah, and that, that's really the problem with that that initial New Fifty Two run was it was very much it was very trudging along. It was very what's why am I reading this? What's the point? You know, there's nothing really going on here. But I have to say, it made me much even more excited for the movie. Um, and for the first time, I really want to go out and just absorb as much of the Superman stuff as possible now because I, it's kind of birthed this love, this idea of, um, you know, who is Superman? Like the, And this is why I'm excited about the movie because all these great stories are all about the man. You know, it's all about him not wanting to separate himself from humanity. He sees himself as a man who has these powers. And the, the ideas in all these books are wh- where, where does that responsibility end? What's going too far? All of that stuff. I mean, it's addressed wholeheartedly in Kingdom Come, obviously. That's what that book's all about. Mm-hmm. But it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's there through all of that stuff. And it, it just, does he belong? The, 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 the way they explore Lex Luthor in a lot of these books is so fascinating to me. Because you really think, it really makes you think, like, would he have been good? Would he have been the savior of humanity if Superman hadn't been in, in the world? Right. Uh, especially the all-star Superman, the Grant Morrison 12-issue uh, thing. Uh, there's an issue all about Lex Luthor. And it just, it, it, like, blows your mind. Like, the things that he's saying, you're like, maybe he's right, you know, at that moment. And that's the best villain. You know, that's, mm-hmm. you know, the same thing with the villain like Sinestro in the Green Lantern universe, where you're like, maybe he's got a point. And that, that's, I think, stuff like that. But it's just, it's been great. You know, I expected almost to be a little bit trudgery, having to read so much and so quickly, but it's been great. There's a reason he made an impact 75 years ago. Yeah, yeah. I got a question. Yeah. Those are all that she picked up. You own them now. Yes. I am borrowing Red Sun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Red Sun I got digitally. No! <laughs> oh, snap. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. It was a lot cheaper for me to get digitally than it was for me to get it. You just kryptonited me, man. Sorry, man. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, you can borrow Birthright, though. Birthright's, birthright's awesome. Sweet. Amazing. Yeah. Are you, a big, are you a Superman fan, Joey? Uh, not really, but I did read Birthright. And then I, after seeing Birthright, like you're saying, I was like, oh... I'm actually really excited for this movie. I was I I'm, I was always pumped for Man of Steel, you know, when I saw the first trailer. But reading Birthright was got me was what got me really excited to see the character. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm 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 a proponent for any superhero comic book movie coming out. But it wasn't until I read through through Wade's Birthright that I was like, oh, if this is kind of where they're going with this or this kind of feel, mm-hmm. and this version of Superman. I'm actually more pumped to see this character as opposed to just seeing, you know, another potentially successful comic book movie. Yeah. And I'd read Kingdom Come and I'd read Grant Morrison, but it really wasn't until Birthright that I kind of got it. Yeah. And Birthright is that thing where it's an origin story and it, uh, but it doesn't forgo the exciting parts to just tell the kind of, the, the story you've heard a thousand times. He knows, you, he knows you've heard that story a thousand times, mm-hmm. but, but here is kind of, a different, a little bit different take on it, a little bit different angle almost, different angle on it. Here's something, some stuff you didn't really see in some of the other stories. The relationship, his relationship with you know Ma Kent is great, and the they she helps him make his costume, and they talk about how you know the moment. There's a moment where they figure out that Superman isn't the disguise. There's an, where they're talking about it, and she says maybe the wearing when you're wearing the suit that isn't your disguise, and they go over how Clark. How the you know the Clark persona is his disguise. How he, people wouldn't realize it was Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. 
and it make it makes sense, you know. You know, any of those you can't even make a joke about it anymore after you read that that issue because you're like, oh, it makes absolute sense. Yeah, who right. would know? So why would you have to hide? Exactly, yeah. you know. And, and it's, it's that stuff is great. The good thing, the great thing about the Grant Morrison one is just that it's it's so very golden age, silver age feeling. It's there's a one issue of the book that is all about it's these two these two explorers that got lost in time from Krypton end up on Earth. And Superman has been gone, and so when he comes back, they've kind of started taking over. They've started, like, building Kryptonian structures, and they want to, like, build a new Krypton and, and everything. And it's a completely one-issue, self-contained. They go from being these, you know, kind of villains to kind of being these sympathetic characters, and they, it closes out their story in one issue. feels very old-school, very golden age. Um, and and it, it's great. You know, it's just, it, it's a different way of telling stories. And, and it, seeing those different ways that people use the character... Is what gets me so excited about reading him in the future, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about, a lot about Superman in a couple of weeks when that movie comes out. So I don't want to go too much into it uh, right now. Uh, speaking of uh, some other superhero movies, uh, big Guardians of the Galaxy news this past week. Uh, we got two major casting announcements. One, uh, Glenn Close is going to be the head of the Nova Corps in Guardians of the Galaxy. Crazy. Ridiculous. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I didn't hear that. Yeah, she's going to be Nova Prime, apparently. Uh, that's, that, that's, the, uh, that's the rumor. Uh, so, I mean, Bob, what do you think about that? That's perfect. Yeah. Uh, keep getting great actors to mm-hmm. be in their movies. That will make them timeless. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, see, we, we, they have an opening that up to the Nova Corps now is going to be in the movie. Yeah. And that's pretty crazy. Yeah, and I do like, I like Glenn Close yeah. a lot, but I am... Super, super, super excited about the other yeah, we'll get to that casting yeah, announcement. Yeah, yeah. I, I like squealed. Yeah. I <laughs> uh, Joey, what do you think about this Glenn Close business? I, I was very excited again, and I think that that Marvel, if they do anything right, well, they do a lot of things right, but one of them is casting really fantastic actors um, mm. in these roles. And uh, people were shocked that oh, Glenn Close in this movie, and I was like, she was Cruella Deville yeah. twice. Yeah. <laughs> Like how, do you think she wouldn't have signed up to to do this, particularly in in a in a what I think is going to be a really innovative and really interesting film? I'm I'm not surprised that mm-hmm. that she she signed on. She was in Mars Attacks too, which was a great movie. Yeah, it's, uh, oh, I genre based. Yeah, no, she that is great. Um, and the other casting news that Steve w- was talking about is Benicio del Toro yeah. has been cast in Guardians mm-hmm. of the Galaxy. Um, and has been signed to several Marvel movies is is the thing and the the prevailing rumor is that he is going to be Thanos that he's going to be the voice of Thanos. Oh my god! Oh my god! Uh, I hope his usual suspect's voice for Thanos. Yeah. that would be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Give you a of it. fucking costume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like <laughs> I think you just wrote a Saturday Night Live skit. Yeah. Guys. Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, Bob, what do you think about this one? Well, it's perfect. Again, yeah. you've got a guy who's a great, great actor. He can do a lot of varied things. I Look, forget doing CGI. Put him in makeup. Put a chin <laughs> on him. Paint him purple. Put him out yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, Joey, what do you think about this one? Another great I, casting, right? Yeah, I think so. You know, usual suspects. I remember him when he was the henchman in License to Kill, Timothy Dalton, yeah. James Bond. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, again, these these... Everyone always says, oh, these big Oscar award-winning actors are Oscar-nominated. How could they do these kind of shtick genre movies? And I'm like, well, you look back at their career, and a lot of them started here. You know, they started in these these kind of genre-based films, and, and um, it's such an integral part to 
the film history, why is it a shock? You know, yeah. why why is it a shock that these actors are doing these movies? I don't I don't think I don't find it to be. Yeah, I mean the truth is, I'm sure Benicio del Toro and probably Glenn Close as well. They probably grew up watching these kind of movies in, in some form or another. You know, you look at some. I mean, Robert Redford is in Captain America too, mm-hmm. for God's sakes. Right. You know, and you don't get any more classy, you know, Hollywood than Robert Redford. Uh, so started doing Twilight Zone episodes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and, and so I, I think it's cool. You know, you, you know, Michael Shannon has talked about Man of Steel, and he says, you know. The script, he's like, is is as emotionally deep and as affecting as any of, and he's in quotes like the real movies that I do, you know, that you guys, so the so-called, he says, you know, indie real movies that I do. So, you know, that that's what it's all about. I think I I'm pretty sure, you know, probably Glenn Close and Vincent Toro read the script and were like, I really like this script. I'm definitely gonna do this. Yeah, an actor yeah. at that level of success is not doing a junky movie. Yeah. It's all in the writing. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's just showing again and again like this kind of. Uh, oh, Karen Gillan also got cast as a yep. villain yeah. in in uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy. We didn't even talk about that. That got announced this weekend, kind of overshadowed by these two giant casting announcements. Uh, but it's another, you know, good actor, a high profile role. Um, and Guardians of the Galaxy is kind of shaping up to be this, like Joey is saying, this kind of ballsy, you know, really kind of I think special thing. And whether or not it succeeds or not is is one story, but. The, the the gusto and the quality and craft they're putting behind it is obviously very high. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens when, when that hits. I'd like to see what the studio commissary looks like at lunchtime. Yeah. Well, yeah. This powerhouse cast wanders in for their you know ham sandwich. Right? Yeah. Yeah. A Batista know, with them. Yeah, yeah. Batista. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know who's playing freaking Rocket Raccoon already. He needs to come out. Mm. Weren't there some rumors about who might do the voice? Yeah, but those were those were such a long time ago, and they haven't. They, okay. I don't think none of those rumors that were out around that time have come to fruition at all. Uh, so okay. uh, I, we still have no idea. Um, yeah, I mean, it could very well be Benicio del Toro. You know, I mean, the, the, the Thanos thing is a no. Fred Penster right there. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, you son of a bitch. <laughs> he's too. He's too much of a of a commanding presence on screen to reduce him to doing voice. He's got a great voice. I'll give him that. But I don't know multiple multiple film deals and such. I I can only see him as a villain. Yeah, and, yeah. and you, most likely Thanos. I mean, if you're talking about any character we know of so far that's going to be in multiple movies, it's Thanos. But if he is, he is going to kill that role. It yeah. is going to yeah, be man. awesome. Yeah. You know, and it's one of these things, again, we're going to have a Guardian of the Galaxy movie that has Glenn Close, Benicio Del Toro in it before we ever get a Justice League movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there is that. Um, some forward progress for DC that, that came out just on Monday, uh, Tuesday, sorry. Uh, we have officially announced uh, Fables is going to be a motion picture. Yep. Um the team, uh, David Heyman and Jeffrey Clifford, who are the, pro- the producers behind uh, the Harry Potter franchise, are, are producing it. Mm. Um, Jeremy Slater, who wrote the new Fantastic Four movie, is right now the writer. And the director's name is Nicolaj Arcel and directed A Royal Affair, which is uh, a, a small movie that came out. But uh, yeah, we, we, there's no date or anything for it, but it's going to be a movie. So, uh, Steve, what do you think of a Fables movie? Well, first of all, hell yeah. Yeah. Um, I would love, love, love to see a Fables film. Just 
to bring I feel like um I mean we've had a couple of forays into uh fantasy and fairy tale a little bit. You had the Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters, which there were mixed reviews about personally. I loved it, but you can't please everyone. Mm-hmm. Um I think it would be really great that Fable seems to have this power over the comics community that in the past two or three years, in my estimation, that it's gotten so much bigger than it's been in a while. And it's, people are so much more aware that this community of people and this this comic universe exists. And not only does it exist, but it is playing a major, major role in what draws the crowd, what draws the money, and what draws the talent, really. Um, it sounds like it's got some pretty amazing people attached to it already. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that it wasn't leaked earlier that it was going on. And it's one of those things that is so large at this point that if they do it correctly, and you're talking about like Harry Potter people being involved, you could create a solid film series based around a property that has seemingly limitless opportunities. Yeah. Um, you get the video game tie-in. You got so much of a backlog of reading material that when people find out that the film is a go and they start announcing casting and dates and stuff, I mean, you're going to see sales of a series that already does really well standing on its own because it has such a huge fan base mm-hmm. already that so many more people are going to be exposed to this, to, to Bill Willingham's world, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just think it's going gonna, it's gonna to create a whole new awareness. And if they do it right, not only could it create other uh, fairy tale themes throughout comics, but it could also tell Hollywood that they can go there again. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, uh, I, there's a few examples of when they tried and failed. Uh, Terry Gilliam's uh, Brothers Grimm right. was not well received at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, Hansel and Gretel had mixed reviews. And there's been a few that just nobody remembers them. I think with Fables, with, with it already being such so like established and the people that are tied to it, that are tied to it, you have potential for a really strong comic property outside of the Marvel universe and it could be a really great stepping stone for DC and to raise awareness for some of their other properties with them still being, you know, with Vertigo being Mm -hmm. theirs for now. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Bob, what do you think about this? Well, we got to meet Bill last year during the Comic-Con, got to share a couple of beers with him, Mm, which was a lot of fun. And we were discussing at that time the whole idea that, well, he was way ahead of the curve on Mm, this. mm -hmm. I mean, Fables goes back a decade at this point. And in between, we've had that Gilly movie on television now, Grim and Once Upon a Time and Enchanted and Tangled and sort Mm. of meta-aware fairy tale movies. I hope it brings enough attention back to him. He was the guy who started this. Yeah. Uh, You know, there was a lot of, obviously a lot of, there's a lot of Sturm and Drang after Once Upon a Time came out. And Mm -hmm. because there was a whole thing about they they were going to go ahead with a Fables television show there and then they scrapped it and then he Once Upon a Time. And, you know, this is from an editorial that he wrote uh, back in 2011 because people were saying he's going to sue, blah, 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 whatever. And he said, you know, uh, if you like Fables, you needn't dislike Once Upon a Time and vice versa. Join me in wallowing in all of it. 
and then take a look at all the other grand stuff out there right now or coming down the pike, along with Fables, read Kill, Kill Shakespeare, The Unwritten, Memorial, Mice Templar, Mouse Guard, read the stuff of Legend and Castle Waiting and all the other gems in the same category. It's the new age of old-time stories. Yep. Uh, J- Joey, do you read Fables? Uh, are you excited about a uh, movie? I'm very excited for the, the movie. I was excited for the television version. I think the long-running series like that, like Walking Dead, I think mm-hmm. they just... They're made for that kind of serial television genre. But, I mean, a movie's great as well. Um, I've read bits of Fables. I haven't read all hundred and million issues. Uh, <laughs> but, but again, I, I love the genre, you know, and I think that there's, like you said, a, a renewed interest in it with Once Upon a Time on TV, uh, the Into the Woods film versions being made. They did a production in the park. It's just kind of there's a buzz for it right now and I, and I think that it, it if it gets off the ground and it looks like it will be again because of the talent attached already I think it could be huge mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely um, and we're talking about Vertigo here and uh, there was a beautiful an, a beautiful and amazing uh, profile of Karen Berger uh, this week I believe it was in the New York Times uh, she just left Vertigo obviously uh, and it's she's very classy it's a very good thing but you know, they kind of at, they, we talked about the, the shrinking nature of, of Vertigo, and uh, <laughs> Dan Didio, Dan Didio, uh, he he was quoted in the piece, and, and he said some things that had gotten people pretty upset um, uh, because of the the, the he, you know the the sales of the Vertigo books are not very big, and compared to the biggest books that DC has, it's very very small, and they we've seen them start to integrate characters. They brought Swamp Thing back in the main universe. They brought Constantine into DC, and he said it's it's myopic to believe that servicing a very small slice of your audience is the way to go ahead. Um, and, and he talks about you know the, the the smaller books. That's not what we're in business for. We have to shoot for the stars with whatever we're doing because what we're trying to do is reach the biggest audience and be as successful as possible. Um, and we will get to more about DC, about what the, the, their, their kind of strategy is coming in September uh, for this. But and this is not this is not the bash DC. I mean, they're a big company, and it's not like Marvel doesn't have Marvel has a very very small. When, when a creator feels like putting out a book, they have a creator online, the icon line. Um, so it's not like they're doing it either. But they also don't have the tradition that that DC has with Vertigo, which has put out some of the most acclaimed. Uh, comic books of all time, you know, from, from there. Talking about V for Vendetta and, and Sandman uh, and Hellblazer and, and all the, all these books, mm-hmm. Fables, uh, you know. Uh, and what do we think about that brand possibly going away? I mean, Steve, what do you think of that? I think it's terrible, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. be honest. Uh, I have not delved into as much Vertigo as I like to, but to me, the Verti- Vertigo feels very separate from the DC universe and they seem to reserve or for a time they were reserving that label for their darker, more, um, well, that's what it is. Yeah. It's darker. Yeah. Yeah. Like, books. yeah. like yeah. darker, uh, more concise stories, but just the, the characters that roam from Swamp Thing to Sandman to, you know, fables. And it, it has a, a much more fanciful approach to comics that it, it it it's almost its own genre mm-hmm. in a sense and uh i mean personally as much as i do love dc from time to time vertigo i'm much as much as i haven't read from them i feel like i would be more comfortable 
within that universe. And I've been, it's funny that I wanted to explore it more and then it's at risk of going away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, but if anything, you can always go back. Yeah, you know? I mean, the only ongoings that are being published right now, I'm pretty sure, are the Unwritten, Fables, and Ferris are the only ongoing series. American Vampire is on hiatus. We have we have The Wake. The Wake is Vertigo, but it's a it's a limited. Trillium's a limited. Right. Yeah. Where is yeah. Sandman going to go when it starts? I'm sure it'll be Vertigo, but that's again, it's a limited. It's, it's a short series. Yeah. Bob? Well, his words are just insulting, mm -hmm. frankly. Uh, you yeah. know, I realize myopic is, is a rather neutral word, but in that context, it comes off as, oh, we don't need this. Yeah. And what's sad, if he wants to talk about addressing this giant, great audience, his books are aimed at 18 to 25 to 35-year-old men. Mm -hmm. And their female readership is 3% or whatever it is. And on Vertigo, it was much higher. Yeah. So why are you then discounting all those readers mm -hmm. because you want to chase after the, the Happy Meal cup buying audience <laughs> or the buying Chotskys and statues of Emmy comic girls and mm. the rest of it? Chachis. Where was your broader mm. focus on this industry. I, I think that, and if you listen to him talk, you listen to a lot of people talk about uh, the New 52 relaunch and all this stuff, it came very closely on the heels of, DC, uh, of Warner Brothers and Time Warner for the first time kind of turning their eye onto DC as an entity and bringing them in as more of a corporate, you know, a corporate entity and really looking at their profit margins and how much they're making because pretty much for a long time they were left alone, you know, to do whatever they wanted to do. Uh, and when they became DC Entertainment, when Warner Brothers started seeing all the money Marvel was making, they kind of really focused more down on this stuff. And so this is probably why you're seeing this stuff happen. But uh, Joey, I mean, uh, what do you think of Vertigo possibly going away? I, I think that would be terrible, uh, kind of agreeing with everybody. And I think that it kind of goes back to a point that, that Steve made before that Vertigo for a long time was giving us books and now you know we might be getting a movie that didn't deal or didn't deal primarily with kind of those that four colored superheroic fare mm. right and and just looking at some of these books that that they put out I pulled up a list of you know Vertigo books that they put out since they started in 93 as a teacher a lot of the books that i would be interested in structuring a, a course around are on here you know obviously there's watchmen but then you have you know dmz why the last man house of mystery right fables air which is a great little series you know uh really fantastic works of fiction that that are worthy of kind of the kind of analysis and consideration that we give to you know Jane Eyre or whatever mm -hmm. book you want to talk about, right? A lot of them came out of Vertigo at a time when there was a lot of creators interested in telling real, not real, that's a terrible word to use, but <laughs> but, but um, innovative stories, right? Mm -hmm. Experimenting outside of what the genre had become known for. Um, and, and Image kind of does it now, but Vertigo was doing it 20 years ago, yeah. you know, in 93 and and... and before that with some of these creators so it would be very uh, a big it would you would lose a lot of of uh the comics kind of legacy if vertigo went away yeah and i mean we, we talked a lot about day tripper in the last couple of weeks and that is, yeah that's that's a vertigo book you know and uh, day tripper changed my life it was a great book it's an awesome book you know we, yeah. we were we, we were saying kind of the same things the last couple of weeks about it and it's like one of these things where i can i can understand you know, that it doesn't make them a lot of money, probably. Um, and I also, the only thing that softens the blow is only because of the fact that I do feel like Image 
has kind of taken up that sort of filled that hole. You know, they right. the, a lot of the books they're putting out now, some of them would probably be Vertigo books. You know, it, it, ten years ago, five years ago, but now there's that hole there. DC's not doing it anymore, so they're kind of stepping up to grab up those properties and put them out. You know, uh, but the other thing I, I just think that it's a short sighted thinking only because there you can't put a price or a dollar um, uh, value on your credibility with an audience. It's the reason why movie studios still make movies that don't make any money that win awards because they know that credibility gets them attention from higher talent. They can bring in better directors. They can bring in better actors. They can bring an actor. If they do a, a, a high profile movie for with David O. Russell, let's say, and it ends up making a little bit of money, but then they're like, listen, David, we have this little bit of a more higher profile project. Why don't you come on and direct it? Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, we'll do that because you have a credit. And then they also, they get this, oh, Warner Brothers, they've won the last three Best Picture Oscars. And then their producing team start to get cred with, they can start putting it in ads, you know, from the Oscar, you know, the next Harry Potter movies from the Oscar winning team behind this or that. <clears throat> and I think that, I think that A, I think that they missed that opportunity. And they're going to lose basically a excellent, for lack of a better word, farm system mm. for their writers. You, you know, Jeff Lemire and Scott Snyder are Vertigo guys. Ed That's Brubaker, what, Grant Morrison. Ed Brubaker, yeah, mm-hmm. yes, exactly. These are people who come up through these systems and end up writing for DC for large chunks of time because they grow to love them because they let them do what they want to do with these smaller properties. You start taking that away, and yeah, you can still go to Image and Dark Horse and these other companies, Oni, and, and be like, hey, you want to come write for DC? But you don't have that same, I, I, you know, you don't have that same loyalty from those writers. They're more, there's like you go over to Marvel if Marvel, you know, gets to them first and asks them to come over. So I think you're, you're going to see a drying up of this young, exciting talent for them without that imprint for them to have books coming out of. And it's just, it's, it's just unfortunate. You know, it's unfortunate for them as a company to not have th- these writers. I think also having the Vertigo label, it it separates those stories and those creators and those books and puts them into a label all their own that if over time these things start to get absorbed into DC, that they could unfortunately, some of the greatest stuff that they do could be lost in that, you know, 52 number count yeah. and... We've seen so many of their titles come and go in such short periods of time that stories that would have been under the Vertigo label could go unread right? because it gets absorbed into the big thing. And because it's a smaller property, no one pays attention. Well, I mean, five years ago, whatever you think of the quality of it, Dial H, that's a Vertigo book. Mm-hmm. That's, not a DC, that's not a DC Universe book. You know, the way that book is re- written, I, Justice League Dark is probably not a, it's probably not called Justice League Dark for one thing, but it's probably also not a... It's supernatural. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a Vertigo book. Where's the next Fables going to come from? Exactly. If there isn't a Vertigo right. and there's mm-hmm. a property that's now Image, getting you know? into a movie. Image. Yeah. Image. That's, that's where, and that's, they're going to lose that. And I think they're not seeing that, you know, they're not seeing that, that long tail. Uh, on stuff. Too many bean counters. Yeah. They're yeah. really just focused on the wrong thing. Where's the pro- What's the problem with having a book that sells 10,000 copies to a committed group of fans who mm. will buy the book, buy the trade, buy the absolute Sandman mm-hmm. hardcover $100 book, buy the shirts, go to conventions, be a vocal committed fan base who thinks highly of your company for having done this. They may sample other books. Yeah. 
that we how do we even know what what those other numbers are going to be? You know what they got to yeah. do? They got to listen to the Talking Comics podcast. They do. They absolutely do. <laughs> we fixed their company four or five times over already. <laughs> right. Know? I mean, yeah. Um, and by the way, I would love to see this similar thing. I, I would love to see like an imprint at Marvel too. Yeah. I would love to see some of. They have such great writers there who have such diverse ability to do so many different things. I would love like. There's no reason why, you know. You know, east of west couldn't be, you know, mm-hmm. w- whatever their creator imprint would be. Well, they had Icon. Epic years ago. Yeah, Epic. And they yeah. had a full size magazine mm. as well as books under the Epic banner, which some of them were a superhero book, mm. yeah. but told from a slightly different right. bent. Yeah. Sometimes without, they'd be the, a Silver Surfer book without anything else in it, no mm. Fantastic Four, or whatever. It's gone away over the years as the other companies grew more creator friendly, creator yeah. own friendly. Yeah. Yeah. But there's Fraction's certainly a place for out. yeah. Is he for Marvel or well, Fraction's putting out the next Casanova through Icon, I think. Oh, okay. The, the awesome. last volume of Casanova was through Marvel Icon, which is kind of their imprint. And mm-hmm. Brubaker did, I think, one uh, arc on Criminal, I think, through Icon. But he went over to Image, you know, and I think Image is picking up a lot of of again that creator own stuff. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully it don't go away. Hopefully this is just a phase and it comes back, you know. But it's it's a shame to see the vertical line shrunk um, I tell you, so much. I, doing this show and talking this stuff every week, my mental grocery, grocery list of books that I have to read in series I want to look into <laughs> just keeps getting longer and longer. Like I'm listening to us talk. I'm like, oh, I want to read that. Oh, I want to read that. And then I just think, shit. Like I got to add that. I want to read Scarlet Spider. Mm-hmm. I have, I think, about 11 volumes of Fables and I've only read one. <laughs> so I can't even. I'll wait for the movie. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, staying with DC, uh, they... Uh, sorry. sorry, I shouldn't snort on uh, you. Get something in your throat. Yeah. Um, first of all, they like announced. Paul, more like it. We talked a couple weeks ago about the Villains Month thing, mm-hmm. uh, and they kind of put the curtain down on what that was. Uh, it's more than what what we originally thought it was going to be. Um, it's going to be the first crossover event of the new DC universe. New DC universe. Jeff Johns is writing. David Finch is doing the art. Uh, it's I think it's called uh, Forever Evil. Is I think it's a seven-part uh, miniseries that Johns is writing, uh, but around this and the way it's spindling into their books is every book is going to be rebranded w- with a villain. Uh, however, there is going to be—it's not going to be one issue. It's going to be there's going to be four issues of Detective Comics, four issues of Batman and Robin, four issues of Dark Knight, four issues of Batman, four issues of Action Comics. Four issues to Superman, three Flash issues, and two Aquaman issues. And they've raised the price on all of them to three ninety nine. Yeah, <gasps> for, for that month. Gasp. Drawing the line at three ninety nine. Um, so <laughs> this is this is. I'll run down quickly some of what the books are going to be, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, not necessarily the individual books, but the, the whole system what they're Tom's doing. It's like closing his eyes, uh, saying yeah. a mantra. In his I head. thought of Bob the moment I saw this. By the way, uh, so it's we got Justice League. The the four issues are a Dark Side issue. A Lobo issue, uh, a uh, a Dial E issue, I guess. Uh, this is the misprint, and it's the Dial H, um, and a Secret Society of Villains issue. Um, for Earth Two also has two issues: uh, Desad and Solomon Grundy. Uh, born the, on a Monday. The, yeah, born on a Monday. <laughs> the Superman issue is Bizarro, Brainiac, uh, Hale, 
and uh, Parasite, I believe, is the other one. Yeah, Parasite. Uh, Aquaman is Black Manta and Ocean Master. Action gets uh, Lex Luthor. I know that. I, for some reason, they're not on this list, but we don't need to talk about all of them. Um, so, and, and The Flash is, I think, Grodd. Um, I can't remember all of them. Uh, Reverse Flash and just The Rogues. A, a whole rogues book. Captain Cold. Captain Cold being the rogues, definitely. One hope. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, here's the thing. Uh, we Bob and I actually talked about this on the phone before we even I even got here, but my impression of this, I'll say my impressions, and then we'll head off to, to, to the panel. Uh, <laughs> um, my impression of this is DC has been... Uh, oh, also they have 3D covers. But it didn't need to be any worse than it already is because that's mm, what we need. Scary kids. 3D covers because mm. um, everybody back. loves 3D right now. We, uh, I think DC has been terrified of their dwindling market share, even though their money has been fine in comparison. It's been about it's been they've been doing well. They've been doing better than they used to be doing, but their Mar- Mar- Marvel has been dominating market share. DC, I think, is trying to flood the market with books so they can regain unit and market share, at least a piece of it, so that when those numbers come out, it doesn't say DC continues to lag behind everybody else. Um, now, Bob, do you want to go next or do you want to close out oh, the discussion? You want me to finish? Yeah, I want you I'll, to finish the discussion. Okay. Joey, let's go to you first. What do you think about this? I mean, I'm not a regular DC reader, and I think the first thing that I, I thought of when I saw this was A... Those 3D covers are at the same time awesome and ridiculous <laughs> on the one hand. And two, I you know, I read this kind of story and I'm sure Jeff Johns has has great um, a great plan ahead of him, but I read this when I when Marvel did Dark Reign for mm-hmm. four or five years ago. You know, villains taking over and taking over all the books and doing all of that stuff. And it was a great period and, and the stories that came out of it, some of them were very good. Um, but it just seems like something that I've read before from their biggest competitor. And I'm, I'm sure that's not even the case once the story comes out, but that is the comparison that I, as a reader and someone hearing this news for the first time is drawing. And I don't think that reflects well on their plan going forward. Right. You're, you're talking about just basically their, the PR message basically. Right. Yeah. It just seems so similar. And, and it, you know what? I'm, and I trust Jeff Johns and I'm sure the story is nowhere near Mm-hmm. what uh, Bendis was doing with Norman Osborn at the time, but the way it's being marketed seems a lot like that. Okay. And I think that might end up being a problem. Steve, what do you think about this? Um, I am not very excited for it. <laughs> I got to be honest. I don't know what it's going to be like. I haven't read anything. I do like Jeff Johns, but I looked through the titles ever so briefly. I saw some of the 3D animated covers um, I unfortunately I have to disagree with Joey. I, I did not like the covers. I liked maybe one of them. I thought perhaps the Batgirl one was kind of cool. <laughs> right. But I think that once the covers stop moving and those those harsh almost neon images are not doing what they do on a computer screen and it's just on the yeah. cover of your comic, <laughs> yeah. um, I think they're going to be very nauseating mm-hmm. to look at personally. Um, it's just one of those things I, I, I can't, I, I don't want to poo poo it. I don't want to say too much. I don't want to have too much negativity towards it since I haven't read it yet, but I'm just not finding myself excited for it. Mm -hmm. And not only did I not 
like what I saw, but I wasn't excited. I, I didn't. I don't know a lot of these characters, but the event doesn't make me doesn't 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 get me excited to want to know them. Um, I could care less about a Lobo book. I don't care about a Dark Side book. I don't care about more than half of those names that you read. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I just I just don't care. Right. I. It seems to me the DC stuff has been so just bizarre from from where I'm standing. I can't speak for anybody else on the show. I can't speak for anybody else that's out there listening. But it just seems like to me every time that they they bring something to the table and they do something that it it, it comes off really half-assed for mm-hmm. me. Um, half-assed might be the wrong word, but it's just... Another thing that DC is doing, whether it's bad press because of the way that their characters are drawn or the way that they portray them or whatever, that it's the WTF month that they have. And having a villains month isn't necessarily a bad idea, but it just seems like to me DC keeps on announcing these things where they're waving their arms and they're trying to they're trying to be like come over here come on come check mm-hmm. this out which as a company you need to do that and you need to cuz you want to sell books and you want your your characters to you know continue to to be good and whatnot but i just don't know if this is going to help but it shouldn't it shouldn't you every company do that and marvel does the same thing but it it shouldn't feel like that's what you're doing it shouldn't feel right. like you're waving your hands up and they are jumping up and down Saying, come over here, come well, over here. I feel that when, you know, to use the big two as an example, I feel that when Marvel does it, that it's a little bit, even though I don't like the way that a lot of these events, they're so spread out that if you want to read the whole thing, you've got to delve into other books that you might not even be reading and you got to jump into the middle of a story or the story that was happening within that book is now suddenly broken up mm-hmm. and the writer is distracted by trying to include this stuff where it's like, we're going to do a villain's month. Yeah. So, you know, plan for that. Mm-hmm. Whatever you were doing, keep doing it. But we want you to be, you know, very villain-centric from this time period to this time period. So if you could just work that out. Like, when writers, I would imagine that when they get these properties, when you get that phone call and they tell you, yes, we want you on this book. And perhaps it's a book that you've always wanted to write. It's why you got into comics, and all of a sudden you found out you were going to be writing Aquaman, or you were going to be writing The Flash, or you were going to be writing Superman, or something like that. And you're just your wildest dream comes true, and you hang up that phone, and you immediately pull out your notes, and you go to work on this story that you've been dreaming about telling if you got the job. And then all of a sudden, DC is, is announcing these events and these things, and not even events, but just themes, and all of a sudden, they come in and they say, listen, we're doing this. We'd like you to augment, change your story, um, to provide for us to be, you know, showcasing this event. Can you do that? And of course, because it's your job, you're going to do it. And it's part of what it is. But at the same time, it could dash the momentum of someone's story. And as as it is their story, I feel like they that they shouldn't impede upon that too much. Well, I mean, I'd say that if you're going to be a writer for the big two companies, they they do events at least once a year. You should expect so it. you you know it's going to happen. You know, and I, right. I I don't think that I'm sure that this was I, I you know I I think that 
my problem with this, and Bobby, you'll go next. I'll just tell mm-hmm. you think about is I'm actually extremely excited to read the Jeff Johns event. I, I love the way Jeff Johns writes events. I'm a big fan of everything I've ever read of his. That's an event. Mm-hmm. So, and I like, and I generally the way the DC does events. I like the way they structure it better than the Marvel does their thing because you very much can usually just read the the event book and not really worry about the offshoot books. Well, yeah. Um. My this feels a lot like uh, when Flashpoint came out because when Flashpoint came out, they changed the entire universe to like these little offshoot books. Like it was you know it was Dead Man, the Flying Graysons, and Project Superman, and you know they all this other stuff. My problem with this is not it's not the main event. It's and honestly, if this was, if the event was the seven part event, great. And this month for this month of books, they did one villain book a month. I would be totally cool with that. It, it's the it's the four the four books. If you want to do it with one title, fine. I don't even I don't even mind that. But you're doing it with like ten titles. Yeah. Um, and again, it's it's the the consumer's choice whether or not they're going to, to buy the book or not. But it, it seems like these are in continuity stories, so they better do a very good job messaging how these books need to be read if they're going to fit into the ongoing series that takes takes up the mantle after these four issues. Um, if you need to read them to understand the larger uh, the villain event, <clears throat> it's the sheer number of the books that bothers me it's not even the the concept of the event because you know changing up is fine with me and in, in, in especially in case of the flash i like those villains so much that i think that's pretty cool i would like to see i, I love the fact that we're gonna get a rogues book i think that's a pretty cool idea i get a two-faced book pretty cool i want a lex luther book you know but i like some of the other stuff like like this these are the other ones i this is the action ones like cyborg superman general zod Lex Luthor and Metallo, the Flash is Grodd, Reverse Flash, and the Rogues, and the Batman Robin books are Two Face, uh, the Court of Owls, uh, and Killer Croc, mm-hmm. uh, and the, and Ghul and the League of Assassins. Those those are the ones. Uh, <clears throat> which some of those are a cool idea, but it it seems like they're asking an awful lot, and of even even if every single one of those books is fantastic. Let's say pie in the sky. All of them are, are amazing, great stories. You're asking an awful lot of, of your readership to w- w- potentially, you know, raise their bill by four hundred percent. You know, yeah. if you're buying all of those books, one one of a month, you're asking raise four hundred percent. Well, this is one of those times where I always talk about how, like, I when I do events, I do it all. Mm-hmm. This is going to be one of those times where I try to limit myself as much as I can, mm-hmm. and that perhaps if you just do the mainline stuff, that when they collect it and they release it later on, if I hear by word of mouth or or you know someone reads it and tells me or the reviews are good, mm-hmm. that it's that good that perhaps I can, you know, discipline myself this time around to to do that to get it after the fact, right. So, so, uh, Bob, let's close that with you. I have about 37 points to make. <laughs> uh, and as opposed to Steve, who won't poo-poo it, I will triple poo it. Um, first of all, just on the math, someone over at Burn Robotics did, ran the numbers. If you just collect the two Superman, the four Batman, and the three Justice League books, which is reasonable, mm. th- that's a thread that you might carry. Yeah. Your monthly bill will have gone from 27 to 
to $135 to $180 for the month for just those three core titles. Wow. Mm. So this is right. <laughs> this is now not, you know, you talked about you got to jump up and down and attract attention. Nobody jumped up and down more than Stan Lee did, mm. ever. But it was about how great the stories were and the books were, and aren't we all a club? Mm. Aren't we all having fun? And it never came off as calculating or miscalculating as this crap is. Mm. And as you're saying, Bobby, they're trying to reclaim market share. Their WTF month, the books went down 2.6% from the month before, mm. which was an increase because the month before that, they were down more than 7%. Mm-hmm. Wow. So they're attempting to grab something back, but it's with this calculated money grab as opposed to trying to create a story arc that matters, throwing enough crap at the wall and hope someone will buy them. How many people now, because they won't be able to afford all these Batman books, drop Batgirl, drop mm-hmm. Batwoman mm-hmm. To, yeah. to collect all the Batmans they're, they're going to get? Mm-hmm. The gimmick of these covers besides, uh, I've said this before, I'll reiterate, they're at some level with a lot of the stuff that's going on with DC, the, the darkness of the storylines, some of the, the artwork, and the, we've gone on and on about mm-hmm. Catwoman and all the rest of it. And now we're going into gimmick 3D covers and multiples and variants and 150 Justice League covers that month. Well, 54 of them, whatever yeah, the hell 52. it was. 52, yeah. <laughs> um, do they want to bring back the Speculator 90s? <laughs> right? Which killed That's this industry thought. once before. Is this what we want to try again? Mm-hmm. Hideous, hideous. This is the uh, the WTHC month, the, the Who the Hell Cares month Whoa. for someone like me. I, I there are books I <laughs> there are books I normally buy or would have attempted that. No, I'm not, I'm not going there for four dollars mm. to have some cover that'll give me vertigo. Yeah, I mean the fact that they're raising <laughs> all the prices a dollar or two is a little bit is a little bit uh, suspect, and you know. At, at, Again, and I'm speaking from more of a very dispassioned sense here of just looking at their business model and even looking at it as a businessman, you're you're really undercutting yourself because your 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 message is consistently negative, and of course you have the people who are always going to buy this stuff. You know, we have people who write in the show who are big DC people. You know, who obviously love the company, uh, and I like I've been reading a lot of old DC stuff, doing the Superman stuff. And you look at the, especially in the back of Birthright, there like the, the these pages. They're like, this is what's coming, and it's all this stuff that sounds so amazing to me. I'm, you know, and it seems all very creator focused. A lot of mini series, a lot of, you know, bringing back high profile creators to do short runs on, on cool books, and that, and maybe it wasn't working for them financially, and maybe that's why they did what they did. But this, to me, it just seems. And listen, no one complained more about AVX than we did when it was coming oh, out. No question. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? We that was a poorly handled event. That was too big and got sagged underneath its own weight. Seventy-five books. Yeah, it was a it was a problem, wow. and Marvel is notoriously bad at the way they do this event stuff. Um, and so I don't want it to seem like this is just a DC thing. Marvel does the same thing, and Marvel. Look, we've talked many times about the the um, you know fifteen X Men books and, and Avengers tw- fifteen books. Avengers books, and you know that that stuff is a problem. But but. You get away with it more if most of those 15 X-Men books are pretty good, you know, and they serve different audiences. And I think that this is the, this is, whether it's an actuality or just a perception, the perception of DC right now, I think from a lot of people, is that there's not a lot of quality happening there, you know, and I don't think it's necessarily true. I think there is a lot of quality, but I think that 
it seems like the management, not the creatives, the management is working against the creatives in a lot of ways. And that's going to hurt the company. Well, they're yeah. shedding creators, shedding yeah. editorial. Yeah. And, okay, they want to have Marvel's market share. Mm -hmm. Marvel passed them 40 years ago. Yeah. By creating characters that people cared more about, their shared universe where DC was a rather staid place. Mm -hmm. They reacted, and they've been reacting ever since. Yeah. And whether that was Crisis, which they didn't really need to do at the time, four other reboots of their mm -hmm. universe. The one they just did, if they had stuck to their guns and really blew everything up, mm -hmm. began at the beginning, all across the line, yeah. and then didn't play this five years later game, Let's say you have a slightly lesser market share, mm -hmm. but better quality books attract those better creators. Won't your market share go up? Won't your fan base be more committed to your books and yeah. then grow it that way? Yeah. As opposed to an artificial grab from my wallet. Right. Mm. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree. Uh, and I don't, we don't want to harp any more on it and we'll see what happens. Uh, again, my only hope for this is that I am looking forward to the the named event uh, because I like the way John's writes and I'm a consistent fan of the way he does stuff. And so I'll be looking forward to reading that and I'll definitely read that. You know, but when it comes to those other books, I'm, I'm I'll pick up maybe one, maybe I'll pick up one, I'll pick up one Batman and Robin because I read that book anyway. Pick up one Justice League and maybe I'll pick up a second one depending on the team. It's all going to depend on the writing team and the, the art team yeah. to me. Uh, but, you know, I just, and you know, Again, if there's people out there, if you're excited about this and you're like, I've, 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 I really want to read these villains in these books, we want to hear about it, you know, and we'll, and we'll read those emails on the air. We want your opinions. It's just, you know, the, the panel here, we're just not, you know, pumped about it. It's, it's just not something that gets us excited. Mm. Now, if there was an egg foo book, see, I would buy that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of another event, this is the Marvel side, and, uh, uh, go the, after them now. Here we yeah, go. I'll go for so it. So Infinity is coming out, and <laughs> you know Bob is not excited about it either. We've talked about that. Uh, they've been they've been teasing a new book uh, uh, <laughs> called the, if it, it's going to be the Mighty or it's going to be Mighty Avengers. But the mainline Avengers are going to be off fighting, you know, in the cosmos against Thanos. So they need uh, a team on Earth to fight there. And they've been revealing a couple people. They revealed two team members so far. Looks like Luke Cage. And uh, Spider-Man are the two uh, the two people they've announced so far. Hmm. Um, Bob, what do you think about? It's Jonathan Hickman writing Luke Cage. Mm -hmm. I'll be there for that. <laughs> I he that's a character that desperately needs to be brought back from the brink. Mm -hmm. uh, was handled really well by Jeff Parker over in Thunderbolts, Dark Avengers, uh, and then not so well in other places. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hickman's layered approach to that character. He's coming back because, well, he wants to raise his daughter and so on and so forth, but there's a bigger threat. And the only way he can make sure there's a world for his daughter to live in is to go help. Mm -hmm. That's Luke Cage. Yeah. Um, Joey, what do you think about a, uh, this replacement team of Avengers that's shaping up? I think it could potentially be very good. I think Luke Cage and Spider-Man are, are very interesting. Uh, rumors going around are the addition of characters like Iron Fist... Ooh. And, uh, you know, the street team while the other Avengers are all fighting Thanos or whatever. Um, I think that'd be great. And uh, you said Hickman is writing it. Is that what, what's happening? Uh, we sh is that a confirmed? I thought so. I okay. saw that today. Okay, then. Confirmed at this point. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. But. Yes. Uh, well, I don't know. Well, I mean, regardless, I, I'm always been a, a huge fan of kind of those street heroes. I have, you know, Iron Fist. The fraction and, and Brubaker is is incredible uh, with David 
aha writing that stuff um moon knight pull him back too you know bring back all those street teams put them on an avengers team while the big guns are off fighting thanos and and i'd be there for that that sounds great and and like bob was saying i i like luke cage and i've liked him for the last couple of years they've been doing some very interesting stories with him mm-hmm. awesome mm-hmm. steve are you excited about i mean you love superior spider-man right i love superior spider-man mm-hmm. i love superior spider-man very much uh and we're gonna be get some Really exciting news from uh, Dan Slott in the coming days. He's been talking about on Twitter that he can't talk about something. He's, yeah. like, he's like squirming. Hmm. Um, but Hickman writing Luke Cage, Spider-Man, and possibly Iron Fist and mm. others on a street level kind of thing. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, very much. Mm-hmm. I, I will. There are certain writers where I will at least dip my toe into the pool of, of anything that they decide that is worth their time and Hickman is one of those writers that I have a lot of respect for him and a lot of respect for his planning and his grandiose use of these characters that you know if you really want something epic you Mm. you usually get that from him and to bring those characters back in the spotlight under that writer I think would be a very exciting move yeah absolutely um and so going back over to, to DC uh, briefly, um, you know, we, we've been maligning their new 52 books and lowways and the strategies they're going for. But one side of their business that has been doing very well for them, both critically and commercially, is their digital first business. The Adventures of Superman has been very well, very well received. Um, Injustice has been like a huge breakout hit for them. Um, the Smallville book is apparently the best Superman book on, on the stands. Huh? <laughs> if, if you're if you're reading it, that's what I hear from everybody who's reading it. Um, you know, uh, their Arrow comic has been very successful. Legends of the Dark Knight has been doing very well, uh, and they announced um, some more kind of inroads into that initiative. And I'm just going to read off. I don't want to get this wrong. So uh, they they announced two things called uh, DC Two and DC Two Multiverse Digital Comics. So here here we go. DC is in two is a new initiative that layers dynamic artwork onto digital comic panels, adding a new level of dimension to digital storytelling. Um, and DC2 Multiverse technology allows readers to determine a specific story outcome by selecting individual characters, storylines, and plot developments while reading the comic, meaning one chapter of a digital comic has dozens of possible story outcomes. Um, so uh, this, uh, we, there's a digital first title, uh, an Ar- Arkham Origins one coming out based on the upcoming video game. Um, it will be the first to showcase DC2 Multiverse. DC Multiverse features dynamic artwork along with action sounds and the ability to integrate a soundtrack, all while showing readers determine the fate of each storyline and character, including superheroes and supervillains, with multiple options and end results available in each comic chapter. Uh, so, Joey, when you hear this, what do you, what do you think? I think it sounds very, very interesting. Um, digital is something that all of the comic big, the big publishers are, are grappling with and it seems like DC's offering some very experimental and at the same time very interesting um, ideas, right? This whole multiple storyline type deal. Mm-hmm. I think that's a lot of legwork on the creative team's uh, plate, but um, you know, those those goosebump books from when I was in fifth grade yeah. always made me happy when I could pick the bo- the ending of the right. story, you know, <laughs> and, uh, the, the layering of the, 
the artwork on top of the digital panels. You know, if you read any of the the Marvel Infinity comics mm-hmm. where they do that kind of stuff, it's really, really incredible, and it really takes advantage of the digital format. And it seems like DC's jumping on that and uh, doing some more stuff in in that regard. So again, I think this looks great, and uh, I think that I might pick up some of these DC digital books just to see what it looks like. Yeah, um, Steve, what do you think about something like this? Uh, it's all right. <laughs> no, it's cool. I, I haven't had a chance to read the uh, Digital First Superman, but I really did enjoy, for quite a while, I stopped picking it up just because I had to thin my uh, thin the herd, <laughs> but the Legends of the Dark Knight stuff uh, has been really, really cool. I like the idea of smaller stories and having uh, several people lend to one collection, kind of like an anthology mm-hmm. type feel to it. And for digital stuff, I if if I was see the thing is I I don't really do digital, so I kind of have to wait until it's in print. And uh but I don't know. I guess it's I guess it's pretty cool. Well, you don't have to you don't have to wait till it's in print. <laughs> no, I don't, but <laughs> but I do I do need a better tablet if I'm going to indulge. And in all honesty, I already am trying to figure out ways to not spend so much money on comics <laughs> that going digital on top of my paper list would probably bankrupt me <laughs> and I would be sleeping on your couch. <laughs> okay, don't do that then. All right. <laughs> uh, I don't do digital, mm-hmm. but I think it's interesting here. If it's a pick your own ending, it's so interactive. It's almost a game mm-hmm. in and of yeah. itself. And that you, you may blend those two marketplaces. Mm-hmm. Someone who plays the Arkham Origins game. Mm-hmm. Now I can read a comic and do things like that too. Yeah. Reminds me. So of course, if you have a, you can pick a choice, pick it and choose, and have Harley hit Batman over the head with the giant mallet and, and win the game the wrong way. It could be fun. Go ahead, Steve. Uh, no, we just we mentioned game. We mentioned games and and such. Um, I went to go pick up my copy of Remember Me mm-hmm. today, and I did not end up picking it up actually. But because I pre-ordered it, I did still get my uh, pre-order gift, mm-hmm. and it was a. Uh, prequel comic written by Matt Kent. Oh, really? Of all people. Oh, wow. And it was really, really good. (laughs) And I had really hoped that I had the money to pick up the game because it got me so jazzed Mm -hmm. that I was wondering if he just wrote the comic or it's only, it's a one shot uh, put out by Dark Horse and uh, it's called Cubed, actually. And uh, it's such a great, great setup and concept for a video game. And the the sequences, the fight sequences inside the comic were very cool and, and very reminiscent of what the footage that I've seen of mm-hmm. the game. Uh, it's just, it's had so many mixed reviews. Yeah, not good it's, reviews. No. I, well, I've seen everything from outstanding to completely piss poor yeah. shit. So mm-hmm. I just don't, for $65, I don't know who to trust. <laughs> it's a lot. And with, with The Last of Us, which I did play today, I played the demo. Mm. Uh, coming out on the 14th, it was, you know, there was no contest. Yeah, yeah. well, you just wait till it gets cheaper. It'll be cheaper soon. Yeah. That's, that's the kind of game that's going to go down price quickly. Well, speaking of cheap, uh, Injustice Gods Among Us today, GameStop actually tried to do uh, what they did was a online flash sale. Yeah. And nine ninety nine for Injustice on any platform. And it, within the moment that it went on sale, crashed all of... Yeah. GameStop, and I don't know if I'm supposed to be 
sharing this with all you people, but I will anyway. <laughs> Apparently, this uh, flash sale was supposed to be a kind of a a test because in stores now they want people to start using the online services much more, especially the employees. Mm-hmm. So when you go into a GameStop and they don't have your game anymore, and you want them to call over to the next town and find out if they have it they are now going to direct you to the website and try and order for you right then and there and have it shipped to your house. Mm. Huh. So uh, today's little thing that happened was testing the servers for Christmas time for when they were trying to try to do more of these. And I guess they found out today that it's not quite worked out just yet. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, but back to comic books. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, we talked about Elizabeth when and Marvel announced those two things, a Project Gamma and that other stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's awesome. I, I think that uh, it gives a, a it takes advantage of a medium, and I, I think that that's what needs to start happening. I mean, don't I think it's fine. I read comics on my tablet all the time, and it's great, and it's re- it's like reading it off paper pretty much. But it, for these other stories, like I don't want like the regular Batman book necessarily to do it, but if they're gonna have the digital. St- first stories that are out there first why not have them have mm-hmm. a, a some sort of hook to them and maybe maybe it's stupid maybe it doesn't work but i'm sure it's optional i'm sure it's an on and off thing i'm sure you can just read through the story the regular way if you want to i like the choose your own adventure aspect yeah it's, yeah. that's it, neat it's a cool idea that's intriguing yeah so i've never actually read one of those before oh really i Ever. used to read those all the time when i was a kid i loved those things when i was a kid but you know i i think and and this is one of those things where Regardless of whether you're going to use it or not, I, I think this message comes off very positive. People are like, "Oh, they're trying something different. It's, it could be it could be innovative. It, they're they're pressing the you know the boundaries of stuff." And I, I think that's the kind of the message that, that gets you ahead, and not this kind of other message that we were talking about before. But maybe they should piggyback some content over to that too. Yeah, maybe. some of the more edgy. Yeah. Things. Here we go. We we're still doing Vertigo, but we're doing over here. We're and doing it'd be great. Vertigo. It's perfect for the perfect place for that for them to do that. Much lower risk, much lower cost. Mm-hmm. It'd be hurry for them. I hope they do that. Um, but let's. We, it was a very long news segment. Well, let's move on. <laughs> we're gonna talk, talk about now our books of the week. Yeah, books of the week. So I didn't even talk about the beginning of the show, but just so you guys know, later on in the show. Uh, we have two very special uh, little things for you. Uh, we're going to be talking to Marty Langford, who is director and producer of Doomed, which is a look at the uh, unreleased Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie. Uh, he's doing Indiegogo right now. You guys can find the link to that uh, in, in the show notes over at talkingcombooks.com. And uh, we're also going to bring on contributor uh, Mara Whiteside, and we're going to talk all about uh, X-Men number one, the Brian Wood book. She wrote a fantastic column a few weeks ago called Gender Issues about it. And so we're all going to talk about that. And Joey reviewed it. Joey reviewed it, absolutely. So it's, so it's kismet good. that we're all here. What, your review, yes, your review was very good. Your review was very well I'm written, not, Joey. I'm stop being, so, stop being so egotistical. I'm sorry. Very good. It was very good, just so you guys know. My review was great. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but don't worry, I mean, that conversation, we definitely get into a lot of stuff about that book, but we don't really talk too much about plot, so you don't have to worry about being spoiled. Mm-hmm. It's really a conversation more about the themes of the book, the characters of the book, and the book's place in, in the universe. Um, but before we get to that, let's talk about the other books that came out this week, the books that we were excited about. Bob, why don't you start us off? Okay, it's a light week for me. <laughs> uh, first one I'd like to speak about, sadly, wistfully, it's Dark Avengers number 190. Mm-hmm. The finale of what was Thunderbolts, going all the way back to Kurt Busiek all those years ago. Mark Backley was the artist then. Uh, here it's it's 
Jeff Parker, and in this case, Neil Edwards back on the book. Love, I can't, I don't want to spoil this, a lovely way to get through their alternate timeline. The, the Dark Avengers had found themselves on their way to prison and shunted off into this weird New York where the heroes were more twisted than the villains, which made for a nice contrast between our villains turned heroes, sort of. Lovely that even an alternate Reed Richards finds a way to do the right thing at the <laughs> end of the day. Um, characters are really well crafted. You're looking at the, the dark end of things, and yet they're still trying. They've, mm-hmm. they've been changed by this process, that, that they were sort of heroes, and it just bled into their characters. They eventually became those people, though at the end of the day, we're not sure exactly, because they are charging off to victory at the end of the book. We, <laughs> who or what and how that's going to work, we still don't know. Really a shame that Jeff Parker, and I'm losing two of his books. Red She-Hulk is also mm. going away. There's a lovely finale to a great series. And the avenue that things change, get fixed, don't get fixed, however this all works, it's a lovely piece of Marvel science that we may see again, I'm thinking. Okay. In another high-profile series that's moving along. What's what's the name of the Hulk-looking fellow? Scar. Scar. S-K-A-A-R. He's the son of the Hulk from another timeline. So this is, he looks very pensive and sad sitting on this tree. Yeah. <laughs> Almost if he's sad, as if he's sad that the, the book is ending. Hulk, watch the leaves change. Very sad. <laughs> yeah. All sad. But we, we were so joking in the shop this week, Bob, when we the book came out, that we should Photoshop your face uh, onto oh, the under the sad, well, the sad. My hair is a little shorter. It's true, but not too much. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, and I'm not nearly that green yeah, unless I, we've had more, many more beers than this. <laughs> uh, but anyway, if, if you, I know Steve started picking up Dark Avengers, and yes. were, you were iffy positive. I was my. Uh, I like it's weird. It's it's a weird it's a weird series for me. I liked the events. I liked the momentum. I could not, for the life of me, attach myself to any one of the characters, not a single one of them. Things were happening all around them. And as much as I did like the the pacing of the book, and I really, I do enjoy it. I've actually been waiting, I think the last three issues, and I did pick this one up, that I want, I now, when I heard that it was going to be ending, you, I want to wait till it's complete that I'm probably going to go back and read the whole thing and see if I can get more of a a feel. But I just completely unfamiliar and just not enough time to really get in there with any of them. And when when things were happening to them, I found that I was just kind of rolling with the punches and being Mm -hmm. like, well, all right, and not not upset. I didn't put I didn't put any of the issues down and like, damn it. I really hope that X happens. Um, hopefully reading it as a whole, the momentum that I already liked will be there even more so, and I'll be able to really immerse myself in things and and find a new appreciation for it. I am looking forward to it. So I did keep collecting it for that reason. It's funny. I was just on an interview with Jeff Parker. I saw it today. It got out of his hands a little bit too. The time lost story they did before ended up when they started doing the numbers. He wanted it done rather quickly. It turned into 20 issues. Um, what, he just oh, loved what was going on and just kept going with mm, it. Go right. Ahead, um, and another thing was this was also the time that I started reading Dark Avengers was also the time when I jumped onto X Factor. So when you had them 
stacked up against one mm. another of having to introduce myself to a to a team of characters, a series of characters that I didn't know from a hole in the wall. There was something there was like a there was a rush to the hell on earth that, you know, Peter David was doing that I really became invested in and immediately not only knew the characters but cared about them within the span of two issues, whereas opposed to Dark Avengers, where I had read several more and still didn't feel that attachment, Mm -hmm. that I think that I just favored one over the other and kind of let my allegiances to the Dark Avengers slide a little bit. Cool. Yeah, I mean, that was similar to the UCB. I started reading it. It was just there were so many characters, and I I felt like I just didn't understand who any of them were. And I just, and I enjoyed the writing, but I just could not, keep up what was going on well i just the the black the the spider-man like character i i nothing like (laughs) nothing nothing at all absolutely if he was not in the book if i never met him as a character it would not have changed anything for me it just there's something about it that just i didn't connect and i you know it's hard when you don't when somebody that that you you care about their opinion meaning bob that they enjoy it so much and you try to throw yourself in there just mm-hmm. to get involved that you don't have that initial investment in the characters and in the history of the series that it gets kind of lost on you and you don't understand why all these things that are happening are so important mm-hmm. and how the how it's all wrapping up so nicely if you've been on board. Yeah. You know, I'm really shocked and surprised by how much I took to X Factor given the copious amount of it that I've never read. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but where I wanted to go back with X-Factor and eventually collect it, I didn't find that happening with Dark Avengers. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Well, All right. ne- there's next time if it comes back around mm-hmm. again. Uh, and actually, the book of the week is a book. <laughs> it's an actual oh. real book. It's from IDW. It's The Art of Amanda Connor. Mm. So nice. lovely. Which is stuff from her student days. It is little bits of advertising stuff, lots of pictures. It's the insight to how she does this vampirella and soul searches, the whole mess. Certainly gets into uh, her cover art, the stuff for Marvel. Certainly tons and tons of Power Girl. Uh, it always liked her art, but after Silk Spectre, mm-hmm. which she co-plotted with, with Darwin Cook, and just this seemed to be a quantum leap upwards in someone who was already a great artist, the addition of all that deep feeling beyond just the humor of it just really struck me. When I saw this book on the shelf in the store, I was like, I have to buy this one. Mm-hmm. So we get to even the pro and some of the, as she describes The pro, them, that book was so awesome. You know, saucy stuff. There's one here that never came out. There's a series that she came up with, Jimmy Palmiotti, who's her husband, uh, called Valhalla Heights. Apparently, a whole bunch of Vikings are in a battle with some wizard he zaps them. They think they've gone to, you know, Norse heaven. No, they're in some trailer park in Minnesota. <laughs> and they start taking out all the other trailers. And the, until eventually, though, they become the protectors of this <laughs> ragtag little bunch of stuff. I do want to see that someday. So yeah. anyway, if you're a fan of Amanda Connor, this lovely little book that came out, there's a DC one also called The Sequential Art Of that collects the JSA classified, some of the Power Girl stuff, but there are two great trades of that. And the uh, Green Arrow, Black Canary wedding issue, blah, 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 down the road. So I've talked mm. enough. I'm out of here. Cool. <laughs> well, well, Transition, Steve, you also have sort of a, a, a real book to talk about here. I do. 
Uh, as you may recall, if you listened to last week's Talking Comics podcast, I read a lot of Green Lantern mm-hmm. that week. I read a 36 issues to do Rise of the Third Army into the Wrath of the First Lantern. And so by the end of that, I was really burnt out mm-hmm. on superheroes, on comics, on the color green. <laughs> um, so... I took a trip out to Canada. I had, you know, flight hours and hanging out hours and whatnot. And I decided, hey, I am going to actually read a novel. But like a true comic book fan, I'm going to read a novel by someone who writes comics. So I decided to pick up Joe Hill's Heart-Shaped Box. I don't know if you've read this book. Uh, You might feel like you know me a little bit, but let me tell you something about me. I've been through a lot of stuff, supernatural-wise and whatnot. Um, I actually used to live in a haunted house back in the day. Uh, Message me if you want to talk about that. But Joe Hill, within seven pages of this book, I was hooked. By the end of the third chapter, I was looking over my shoulder. I I have really good night vision. Like, I have, like, super, super good night vision. It doesn't matter when you turn out the lights. Like, I could see seconds later. I was walking around with a flashlight. I had, like, my phone app on, flashlight, like, walking around the house. This book is scaring the shit out of me. (laughs) Um, I'm not going to tell you too much. I haven't finished it yet. I am 31 chapters in. Uh, But the basic setup of it is there's a – the the main character's name is Jude – Jude is, if you want to think about him as like a Ozzy Osbourne type character, he's about 54 years old. He's an aged rocker, used to play with Led Zeppelin, open up for Credence and Black Sabbath, and uh, used to tour with Trent Reznor and do all these things. And he has this reputation, he's kind of built his rock stardom on being a little bit of a strange guy, a little bit of a recluse, and somebody who is a collector of the macabre and the strange. So it's kind of, I thought of the the newer uh, Fright Night with David Mm -hmm. Tennant and his character of how he had all those weird things inside of his his hotel room or whatever, his suite. So Jude is one of these characters. And so he gets word from his assistant one day that in one of these auction sites that is not ebay they received an email about this auction that says that if you're interested in the paranormal but are skeptical about their their being ghosts or having them exist at all that this auction is for you because it will definitely make you believe in ghosts because we're actually auctioning off a ghost on the internet so he decides immediately without even thinking about it almost as if it was already decided for him that he's going to do this. So he buys it outright. And one of the stipulations of the auction is that you cannot send it back. The spirit will basically come to you. They believe that there's this, there's a suit. It's uh, their grandfather passed away and he left one of the suits that he was supposed to be buried in when they tried to bury him to fit him in it did not fit. So they ended up using one from the parlor, so on and so forth. So this thing's been hanging around and they believe that his spirit is attached to the suit. We will package up the suit. We will send it to you and the spirit will follow the suit and you will get to experience a haunting of sorts. 
So he decides that he's going to get this suit into his possession. Once he gets this suit, all all bets are off for you not wetting yourself while <laughs> reading this book. I like I said, I don't really get scared, but it's been I, the last book that I read was Ready Player One, mm-hmm. and that was sometime last year, and I I almost forget what it's like to have to form your yeah. own you know your own visuals Mm -hmm. and it's great when you get a writer who really just puts you right into the character's shoes and puts you into that world and I mean especially where I was in Canada when I was reading this and I was in a very open uh in Fitzroy Harbor very farmland very isolated place so when I was picturing you know a place where an aged rocker would go to kind of get away from the world I was within the right settings to picture this stuff and Basically, what you find out about this ghost is he used to be a captain in the military, and he was in charge of tortures for the Vietnamese, and he would literally use um, hypnosis on his victims. So you're talking about a ghost that is coming to your house that has the ability to get inside of your mind. And warp your mind. So not only is it spectral, but it's now also mental. Mm-hmm. How much of it is real? How much of it is in your head? Uh, and just how much power and influence can not only a ghost, I mean, it's, it's disturbing enough to have something creeping mm-hmm. around your house, but to think that it's something that can get inside of you and can get inside your thoughts and can manipulate your actions and can basically... It, it turns it turns out that the the ghost is a part of Jude's past, and all of these things come back to haunt him more so than just the ghost. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you like Lock and Key, if you like the Cape, you'll you'll already know some of Joe Hill's style. It completely and totally translates to novel form. Uh, it's very very much in the vein of a Stephen King novel that it's just rich with character and he's constantly, constantly, constantly bringing things together, symbolism, echoes of things that you read in chapter four that show up in chapter 26. And the way that he... I love it when they take characters from your past and characters that are in your present and the story changes them into the people that you're learning about from the past, mm-hmm. that you're seeing such a mirror between the two, that there's this, there's this like merging of character that all, it's just, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. It really is wonderful. And as a, as a writer, it's teaching me again about character and about that. It's not just about physical appearances or your actions, that they need a history. They need relationships. They need a past and they need, to have all these things to feel like real people. You know, this feels like somebody who could have been on a VH1 special mm-hmm. and they're retired now and they're trying to stay away from the public eye, but this tremendous frightening story is happening to them and then when you see the you know behind the music special about how they died mm-hmm. that the circumstances are so strange. Right, yeah. This is that story of how that person came to die because he's gonna die. He's, right. he's, he's got to. Yeah. Um, so it's I, I've said too much. It's heart shaped box. 
it is uh, just a. I swear that I and I, I will go on the air and go on the record of saying this. I'm a very hyper visual person. Mm-hmm. That if you give me enough information, I can kind of create it in my mind that I will actually see it. I swear, while well, on my trip, that on two separate occasions I saw one of the characters from this book twice. Once outside of a window and once oh, no. down the road. And it was one of those corner of like corner of the eye. You see it and then you look and it's no longer there. Uh, my girlfriend, I, w- I was freaking her out for about <laughs> five days because I kept talking about the book. And one of the themes about the book is haunting and obsession. And when I started reading it, I could not put it down. Whatever free moments I had... During that weekend, I was picking it up. She always found me reading it. She's mm-hmm. like, you're really, you're like, you won't put that down. And I, it was almost really disturbing how much it had gotten <laughs> a hold of me. Right. So if you want a break from comics and you feel like reading a novel that is from a acclaimed comic book writer who knows how to get inside of your mind and scare the shit out of you, mm-hmm. Heart Shaped Box by Joe Hill, you cannot go wrong. I highly recommend it. And uh, that was, I read, the other thing I read was The Wake, but we'll probably talk about <laughs> we'll that in a minute. Talk about that. But yeah, Book of the Week, Heart Shaped Box, can't wait to read Nosferatu and anything else that he's put mm. out in novel form. I will, I will dig it up and I will explore his novel side because it's, it's great. Awesome. Awesome. Now with words. Yeah. Lots of them. <laughs> yeah. 300 and something pages of them. <laughs> All right, cool. So Joey, what do you got for us this week? Uh, well, I want to say first, I'm thoroughly terrified right now <laughs> dude i'm te- uh, oh, i'm telling you it it gets it gets to you real quick real quick it takes seven pages and you'll be you'll be sweating <laughs> oh goodness okay uh so my book of the week first was wolverine and the x-men number 30 came out last week Mm-hmm. Uh, start of the new Hellfire Saga. Really great book. You know, uh, Pasquale Ferry was on artwork for this one. Very, very um, close in style to to Nick Bra- Nick Bradshaw, who does the artwork. But uh, Jason Aaron starting something really big, and it was a great kind of debut issue to that story arc. Um, but the other book that that I've been reading over on on Marvel Unlimited uh, over the last couple of weeks that I, I wanted to talk about was Roberto Aguirre Sacasa's. Marvel Knights Fantastic Four that he did oh. back in, in 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I started reading it because the title is just the number four. So that meant that it came up first on the list of like the table of contents <laughs> in Marvel Unlimited. So that's really the only reason I started reading it. But I'm oh. so glad I did because it's just a, a really fantastic series. Um, and the the backstory behind the why uh, – Aguirre Sacasa got on the book was it always comes back to Mark Wade. Mark Wade was writing Fantastic Four at the time. Joe Caseta became editor in chief, said, Hey, let's give Fantastic Four to Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. And the universe said, No, Mark Wade's awesome. So, <laughs> uh, which they still say now. So, they, so Casada, I guess, gave Aguirre Sacasa the four Marvel Knights four book and, um, it allowed him to kind of tell a very, very different Fantastic Four story. And in the first issue, it's revealed that the Fantastic Four are broke. And they've lost all their money, they've lost all their contracts, and what it sets up is really uh, the first ten issues or so is the Fantastic Four getting back to 
you know, without the money, without the fame and fortune, you know, they rent a hotel room to live in uh, with their kids, you know, get, get it gets back to that heart of adventure and, and heroism and what that means. There's some really fantastic New York based stuff in there. Um, it's just a really, really excellent, fantastic four story. And, and I not a big um, reader of the fantastic four. I, I read like the original, you know, run, but uh, this one, again, we were talking about birthright before, reminded me or at least clued me into why the fantastic four are so is such a good kind of entity in the marvel universe and it's because of that family components because of that adventure and that heroism component um another great thing about the series is that the first 12 issues or so are illustrated by at the time breakthrough artist steve mcniven who did (laughs) who went on to do civil war and is now doing guardians of the galaxy Mm -hmm. um so and then you have, you know, a bunch of other artists, Clay Mann, Valentin Delandro, who did some issues of X Factor on this book before they ended up doing those other books. Um, mm-hmm. It ran for about 30 issues. I'm around like 22 now. It continues to get better. It ends right around when Civil War starts. Uh, so I don't it, it, I guess the it kind of just ran out. But um it, I strongly recommend it. It's a great Fantastic Four story. It's just the number four, Marvel Knights 4. It's really, really good. I enjoyed it. Did you read it, Bob, when it was yeah, out? loved it. It is a very slice-of-life mm-hmm. book. It's the family. Mm-hmm. You know, it's boiled down to that. There are superheroics. There are things happening, some major events even within, but just very, very simple, direct human. Cool. I've Fun never book. even heard of it before, so that's, that's interesting. Uh I'll have to check it out because I have the Marvel Unlimited app. So I actually first own. One. Um, I own the series. It's been in my Fantastic Four box oh, for really? probably since last year. <laughs> I snagged it from Rob's basement, and oh, I cool. have yet to dive into it. Maybe now I will. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Um, anything else, Joey? Uh, no. That, I mean, that was the one that I've been kind of really reading a lot, and then Wolverine and the X Men, and and we'll talk about X Men number one later, which which was just really book of the year. Really, <laughs> <laughs> nice, uh, awesome. Uh, so for me, really quick, uh, in- Indestructible Hulk. Uh, they finished off the uh, the Simonson arc. It wasn't my favorite issue of the of the three issues, but uh, it was still really great stuff. Uh, good humor, and really, the, I feel like the beginnings of the emotional storyline that I feel like has been missing from this. Because whenever we talk about Daredevil, we the first thing we always talk about is, oh my God, like this moment with Foggy or this moment with his dad when he sees his dad, you know, in boxing and all that mm-hmm. stuff. This was the first time in this series where I, my, my heartstrings were tugged a little bit. You know, there's this assistant who she has something wrong and, and she's kind of given up hope. And the whole issue is about Bruce trying to give her hope in, in some way. Uh, and just like Mark Wade always says, there's this great theme, and this is not spoiling anything, but you know, the, you know, he's talking to her about Thor's hammer, and he says, you know, there's two explanations for Thor's hammer. Uh, there's a scientific one, which is that it has, it's filled with these nanoparticles that react to, you know, certain body chemistry, and they're kind of coded to Thor's body chemistry, and they become regular, you know, they become regular uh, weight when Thor touches it. When someone else tries to touch it, they become, you know, the weight of two suns or whatever, and that's what it is. That's a scientific scientific uh, explanation. And she goes, so what's the other one? He goes, that it's magic. 
you know? <laughs> uh, and, and that's kind of a theme of the book. It, it's him trying to show this woman that there's more than just zeros and ones and, and, and the scientific way of looking at things. Uh, and it's gotten me very excited for what's going to come next because I feel like he's unlocked the heart of the book, which is what I've been waiting for the entire series. Hmm. Did you read it, Bob? Yes, I did. Just, I'm buying it for Walt. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I bought the first couple of Hulks and felt as you did. It mm-hmm. just didn't seem to go anywhere. It was yeah. nice, but yeah. nothing sensational. This was special. This mm-hmm. is a special issue in a yeah. lot of ways. I agree with you. I don't think it was my favorite of the three. First one would have been, I guess. Yeah, me too. But that we pulled that extra weight out of out of these characters who just seem to be filler in the background are now not. So yeah. moving forward, I think it'll be much, much better. Yeah, me too. And we got some good artists coming out. Paolo Rivera is going to do a, a run on it and a couple of their artists. So I think the next issue is actually Hulk and Daredevil. So oh. we, we got some cool stuff there. Uh, Just League of America 4, I don't really want to talk about it very much. There was a, there was a big event that happened at the end of the book. I don't want to spoil it, uh, but rest assured, anybody who's read it, we already know, actually, in fact, because Jeff Johns has been talking about that character being in later books, that that character is not dead. Okay, that's all I'll say right now. And, and this is something John loves to do. John loves cliffhangers, and, and this is just another one of those. Uh, it was an okay issue. The Martian Man, her backup, though, was actually great. It was a great. It was all about why he's scared of fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and it's, you know, he's like, it shouldn't, you know, fire doesn't actually hurt me. That's his thing. You know, it's not, it's not physically damaging me at all. But it's the implication of what it means, and you get into that. I think they did it years and years ago with all the Martians. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know it's but it won't say anything. Yeah, Yeah. but it's it's a great backup, and you should totally read it. But my book of the week is The Wake uh, by Scott Snyder and Sean Murphy from Vertigo, uh, which we've talked about at length already. But uh, obviously, very excited when this came out. A huge Snyder fan, and he promised it was something different, and the book did deliver something different. It's it's a multi-layered story. We, we, it begins in, in this apocalyptic future and then flashes back to a time before that and then at the end flashes farther, even farther back to what seems like, like 100,000 years ago farther back. So we're threading a very multi-layered, multi-generational story here. Uh, the meat of the story is about this scientist who has lost touch with her family. She's kind of lost repute. You know, she went, she studied... She went after the wrong case, you know, whatever, and you now she doesn't have her son anymore, and she's trying to kind of win back that respect. She gets approached by a kind of a shady government person who says, look, we can promise you that you'll get this money and you'll you'll get your reputation back. She goes to kind of this underwater base, and she meets, you know, this kind of very, you know, this assembled team of experts in these fields who don't quite get along, and there's some history there behind it, and... There's a lot of things that you've seen before in, in movies and stories, but, but that that is the thing I actually really liked about it. it, and I wrote this in my review, it definitely had this very John Carpenter vibe to it to me. You know, it felt like the thing it, mm. it, to me in, in, in almost every way and in the best ways. You know, not a copy, it's not going to copy, it's not copying it, but that team dynamic, that kind of dirty technology, you know, everything looks very lived in, everything looks... You know, very um, used, but is very high tech at, at the same time, and uh, I, I'm very excited to see where the story goes. There isn't a. This is very much a more, I think, character focused issue th- than as far as story issue because we just kind of get, I think, into the th- what the threat's going to be at the very end. Uh, the the writing is is, is great, uh, but even better than the writing, uh, Sean Murphy's art is absolutely gorgeous. Um, 
his work on punk rock Jesus. I, I loved uh, the art on that. This we get his art colored in, and uh, we get a really interesting color palette. I believe Matt Hollinsworth is the colorist. Same guy who does the work on um, Hawkeye, and it's great color palettes. Uh, he really, really lends to the, the the this John Carpenter vibe to me. The, yeah. This kind of '80s, '70s vibe, early '90s vibe, whatever you want to, whatever movies you want to, you want to draw from, but really drew that from me. Uh, really connected with that kind of story because it's just the kind of story I love. I love movies like this, and so I, I really dug the book a lot. <clears throat> and it's funny, I didn't even notice this the first time I was reading the book, but there's an opening scene. It's kind of this flooded New York or this flooded city, and this woman's trying to get to this. Uh, this area, and she has this, this dolphin with like a head, like a helmet on, or whatever. You don't know what it is, but she's about to get to this building, and this kind of tidal wave starts flooding around. And I was like, and she's like, oh no, we were so close. And then she runs away, and then we cut to the past. But the first time I read it, I was like, oh, she's a tidal wave. The second time I read it, you look at the tidal wave, and there's like a giant yeah. beast coming out of the yeah. tidal wave, which I didn't even notice the first time I was I, I looked at it. Mm. Uh, so the art's very layered. Uh, really excited to see what comes next. Uh, Steve, you, you read it, right? Yeah, my my word for that book when I read it was intriguing. Yeah, it's very and saying you know John Carpenter. There's been a few of those things popping up lately that feel like some of those you know sci-fi movies of old, mm-hmm. and I love that. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. But uh, yeah, no, totally. It was. I'll admit the first couple of pages, it was a little lost on me. I felt like there was some um, like groups mentioned or terminology that I didn't quite understand. I think there was a title of somebody, like somebody's job title, where I actually had to go and look up what it was. I had <laughs> never heard of it before, but um, it really, really, really came together for me. At one point, I won't spoil it, but there was one point where I the. I really connected with the story and I felt that it was going to go to, to some pretty, pretty cool places. And that final, the, I love a number one with a great, great final page. Mm-hmm. And when they set up a book to make your mind wander and think of all these different things, and then they just punch you right in the gut at the very, at the very end to pull you in for the next issue. And that's exactly what this book did for me mm-hmm. where I just, I saw this image and I said, no way that's, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I loved the thing. It's funny. You mentioned the tidal wave. Yeah. I noticed that immediately. And mm-hmm. I said, oh, that is so neat. That is so bizarre. And I'm mm-hmm. wondering if that's actually does the, does the tidal wave itself have a consciousness is the, is the wake the thing that's commanding these things, perhaps? Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have what? to wait and see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Blew your mind, huh? I haven't even read it yet. Now I wa- I have to. Now. <laughs> uh, very, very cool book. Um, it, it's one of those things where, you know, the first time I read through it, it's when, when, you, re- when you read a writer you really love, you, you tend to have impossible expectations. And, and he set up very high expectations for himself constantly. Uh, and the first time I read it, I, w- I read it through it the first time scared that I wasn't going to like it, you know, and I was relieved by the end of it. That I liked it. And then I read it through the second time, just kind of enjoying what I, I was reading. I read it the same way. You know, I'm the like, same way. Every time it happens, every writer, it happens with movies, it happens with books, it happens with everything, music. 
At first, I'm just like scared that I'm not going to love it as much as I loved the other stuff by that person. But it's great stuff and should be. A, I love that it's a limited series. It's a 10 issue thing. We'll get it done and uh, I'm excited to see uh, where it goes. All right, so that's it for uh, our books of the week. We'll take a little break and we're going to come back. Uh, we're going to come back with Marty Langford, director and producer of Doomed. back here at Talking Comics, and tonight we have a special guest, uh, Marty Langford, who is the director and producer of the movie Doomed, about one of Hollywood's most famous lost films, probably the most famous lost film in the genre since London After Midnight back in the Lon Chaney days. Uh, it's about the Roger Corman Ole Sasson Fantastic Four movie from 1994 that isn't available but is, let's just leave it at that. So. Marty, tell us how you became uh, interested in doing a project about a film that Roger Corman himself called the strangest film production he'd ever been involved in. Yeah, I know. That's, uh, Corman's terrific. I, um, you know, he's one of those gets for this project, you know. Uh, we don't have him yet. We have, you know, we have so many people. We have every cast member. Um, I'd say down to um, Alicia Masters, um, um, and, uh, you know, the, the character, mm -hmm. uh, we have, uh, the writer, the director, we have the editor. Um, we have, I think we have the costume designer. We have two, I think two of the producers. Uh, and then of course we have, uh, my, you know, uh, producing partner, Mark Sykes, who was the assistant casting director. And, um, uh, and I'll get to answer your question in a sec. <laughs> Doing but, fine. Yeah, good. And, uh, the, uh, you know, he was the impetus for the whole project. This was a couple of years ago. I won't say he was the impetus, but he was the, uh, he created the accessibility that I needed to do this. And it was, uh, it was a couple of years ago, and I've always been just, I'm a comic book geek, like I'm sure you guys are. I still collect. Um, I love costumed superheroes. It was, I mean, I, I grew up in the 80s, but, you know, my goal throughout the 90s before DVD came on and when VHS was still king, which was, you know, when Fantastic Four was getting really duped and, you know, sold the conventions, uh, of which, by the way, I have nine copies of it. I bought at different times trying to get better versions. You've actually beat me. I think I only have five. Though my, oh, first, yeah. my first one had a time code on it when I yeah, first bought I, it at my local yeah, store. I, yeah, I had that one. Um, <laughs> and it got to the point where I actually bought that one when I knew it was on there because... I was like, well, this could be kind of a variant, you know. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not necessarily a, a better generation, but it does have that time code, and the other ones don't. Um, but anyway, I was going to write a book um, because I was a geek, because I love costume superheroes, because, you know, when Generation X came on, I had to make sure I taped it. Um, Me too. I was part of those tape trading, um, you know, alt-video-tape uh, uh, trading. Mm -hmm. And I would go back and forth, and Fantastic Four was always on people's lists and was always very popular. But anyway, I was going to write a book, and I talked to Mark, and we spoke for a while, and he's like, dude, you're a filmmaker. <laughs> Why are you talking about writing a book? You know, he had cast my last film. And I'm like, yeah, you know what, you're right. And then that was like about two years ago. And then we tried, and we, 
you know, we, we didn't necessarily hit snags. We just lost ambition. Life got busy, and we both kind of just um, always had in the back of our minds but weren't actively pursuing it. And then about four or five months ago, that changed, um, and we just both got back into it. I couldn't cite necessarily why, who made the first call. Um, but that started. We started in pre-production. We decided to launch the campaign. We set up a budget. And, you know, we're, I don't know, 15 days into the Indiegogo campaign. And if people want to find that, it's at Doomed at Indiegogo? Uh, who the hell knows, you know? I think you just <laughs> go to Indiegogo and type in Doomed. <laughs> okay, that'll find <laughs> it. Now, they give you two different links, and they give you, uh, you, know, uh, you know, just URLs to cut and paste, so... Uh, we could always attach it to the post. Yeah, I'll definitely, it'll definitely be in the post for this podcast on tonkombooks.com if anybody's listening. So if you want a chance to go check that out, it'll be in the post for the podcast. Yeah, yeah there are a lot of cool benefits and bonuses coming with it too, so that's really nice. You get a copy of the movie, you get extras, the poster, lots of we've things. Got all, yeah, we've got all kinds of stuff. I mean, when Mark was working at Concord New Horizons, you know, in 92 when the production started, when Bernd Eichinger from... You know, uh, New Constantine, the German company, came to Roger and said, uh, you know, we have um, to have to be in production by December 31st, 1992. And uh, we're not sure of the exact date, but it was early in 92. <laughs> so they had less than a year. And, um, and they just set to work and they just put the Roger Corman machine in gear um, and maybe amped it up a little bit, you know. Um, because they recognized it was a property. And, of course, Mark uh, was in, insane because he's like us. You know, do you guys go to comic book shops? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you, so you don't get them in the mail. You don't um, – you actually go physically and mm -hmm. have your, do you have your pulls and stuff. And that's, you know, what I've been doing for, uh, for, for, for my life. Mm -hmm. um, and Mark did too. Mark – I worked for Mark at a comic book shop in Western Massachusetts, where I'm from and still am, by the way. Um, and Mark's in L.A., and that was another advantage to having him involved. Um, but uh, when he saw that come in, he just exploded, and he kept track of every minute of every day. He has notes. He has, he has the casting sign-in sheets for the, for the movie, you know, the a couple, you know, hundred, couple hundred people who came in to read for the parts. Um, and there's big names on there. There's A-list Hollywood names on that list, and it's mm. amazing. We'll have to talk off the air. We'll have to, you're going to save that for your movie, but you can slip me one of those as a, uh, as a contributor to this project. There you go. Uh, now, uh, you, you start to mention the people involved. You know, the screenwriter Craig Nevius, director Oli Sassone, the, the cast do a really nice job at trying to inhabit characters that seem awfully more like Stan and Jack's. Fantastic yeah. for than what has come in movies that cost 150 times as much. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And and part of the movie, it's not you know, it is going to be, of course, about uh, the Fantastic Four, but it's also going to kind of touch on other comic watermarks, important things within the context of the industry. We're, we we're talking to Steve Bissett on creator rights. Uh, Steve Bissett's a friend of mine. He lives just up north in Vermont. And, you know, we're going to interview him to talk about creator rights, to talk about Jack Kirby um, and Stan Lee. And by the way, we're, you know, we're not close to getting Stan Lee. I definitely won't say that, but um, we're trying to get Stan Lee. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, of course we are. <laughs> you know, who would make <laughs> yeah. this movie and not try to get mm -hmm. Stan Lee? Um, but uh, we're not starting, like, at the, at the rock bottom in getting him, I guess I'll say. Um, 
and uh, I'd forgotten the question. Oh, just in terms of these people who didn't, you know, briefly tell the story of the movie itself. You know, you, you probably have it more practice than I do. I'll ramble all over. But the, these people who were doing, you know, certainly they knew it was a low-budget movie, but they found right. a way okay, to yes. have their heart in the right place. Everybody yes, involved, it seems. That's important because the actors, especially um, Alex, yeah. um, but including you know, uh, Jay and Rebecca and Joseph and Carl and Michael, um, kind of the six leads of the movie, who are dudes, you have no idea how excited they are for this. And the emails that go back and forth are just so, I don't know, they're so exciting. I'm actually, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm planning on using these um, emails. Uh, one of the incentives we have is an ebook, which is... Um, which we're putting together now, which is at a very low contribution level. And it's going to be a kind of this really comprehensive document that not only includes um, the kind of behind the scenesy type stuff, but that we're going to have access to like crazy, unique photos that people have never seen and videos that the uh, that Rebecca especially, but all these people shot during production. Mm -hmm. So th it's going to be amazing. It's behind the scenes stuff we'll have. And um, getting back to your question uh, about um, too about the charm of the movie, about how they more matched, uh, you know, Stanley and Jack mm -hmm. Kirby's um, kind of, you know, their creation. They, oh, they just do such a wonderful job of keeping it simple and keeping it character based. And you know, the budget hurts. Of course, it does. You know, and is goofy, and we laugh at the, the stretching and the. You know the animation for for for, for Jay and, and Human Torch. Um, the thing we we all agree is better than the thing in the newer movies. Um, <laughs> yeah, the newer absolutely. movies, which which wouldn't exist by the way, if it weren't. I mean, they'd exist, but in a much different form, I suspect by now. But they wouldn't exist were it not for this movie, because they went into production on December twenty eighth, nineteen ninety two. They beat it by three days, <laughs> um, and they assembled this movie so quickly. Oh. We have so many stories about the day-to-day goings-on because Mark was not only the assistant casting director, he was Roger's receptionist and office manager. So Mark was the go-between between the world and Roger. So when Craig Nevius would come in for script meetings, you know, Mark would have to walk him in. And, you know, he got to know all these guys. It was great contacting each of them because I'd mentioned Mark and they'd be like, oh, yeah, I remember Mark. You know, mm -hmm. everybody remembers Mark. <laughs> So again, oh, Steve, you have a question. Yeah, sure. Um, now, when you're making the film, I'm curious if you could share this with us. If you can, sure. that's totally cool. But um, I noticed I was reading up on the film, and it was saying how you would be limited in just how much film you were able to use, if any, from yeah, the original always, movie. Yeah. And that in place of that, you would have um, kind of themes going throughout the film or you would set it up differently how would you uh go about doing that exactly it's, it's a it's a great question and it's one that i you know i have a general idea of um and you know it's weird when you're directing a documentary because so much of it is just talking heads during production if it's that kind of documentary um which i've never done a long form before a feature um but so much of it is making the shot look really good you know we're shooting on a red epic um, you know, with uh, with a bunch of fast primes uh, for lenses. Mm -hmm. So we're shooting in really interesting locations, you know. Rebecca's house alone, we're shooting it. Sometimes we're shooting in a home of, of, of one of the, uh, the, the interviewees. 
And her home is just, she's, you know, she, I've got like 15 pictures she sent. And it's like, wow, that's a lot. And, and, and it's just the stories behind how these people are doing now, mm-hmm. you know. Um, for instance, Rebecca has a nice home. That suggests something about her as a character, not as a character, uh, kind of a character in the documentary, but it, as her real life persona. And all of these people are going to exist. They look older. You know, it's 20 years next year that this friggin' movie was made. <laughs> um, and they look really different, you know. I haven't met any of them yet. I've just been communicating with pho- by phone and email and text and all that. But um, it- it'll be interesting. But, yeah, we can't show a frame of the movie. We wow. can't show one frame. Wow. That's a challenge. That's going to be yeah. interesting. We might be able – you know what? But and I hope – you know, if we're going long, just tell me. But um, that – it, it's one of those things that you rationalize out to be a positive when you know that you can't get it. You know, you adapt your attitude and production to say, well, you know what? People who aren't even familiar with the Fantastic Four as comic book people uh, may come across this movie and that won't distance them from it because it's going to be so, you see all these people running around in costumes and stuff, you know. Right. This is a documentary about more than just that the production you know, it's about what these people went through, where they are now, how it affected their lives. Um, did it? Did it? Did it um, remain with them? Uh, Alex, especially, has amazing stories about this film and uh, how big a deal it was for all of these guys twenty years ago. They thought this was going to make their careers. It was going to get a theatrical release, which Rogers Films rarely did. Not rarely, but but at this point, not often. Mm-hmm. Um, they had the premiere set up um, in Minneapolis at the Mall of America. And then, yeah, the, the the rug just got pulled out from under everybody. Oh wow! Well, one of the great legends, speaking of not being able to use the footage, is that you know Avi Arad paid off both Roger and Burned. Uh, yes, much more than the, the cost them to make the movie, just to make sure no one ever saw it. And recently, uh, someone was talking to the folks at Shout Factory about trying to find a way to put this out. They just did, I think, the Captain America one with Matt Salinger, right? And their efforts came up for Noah, that, that it's, the thing was burned. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, you say burned, and, and, and it, you know, literally or figuratively, um, and it could be either or both. Yeah. Um, you Pun know, intended, actually. Were, but... <laughs> you're right. I mean, Mark was, and it's funny when you start, when I start to, to say the things that he had contributed and did on this movie, but he also happened to be Roger's uh, uh, projectionist. Um, so viewing dailies, and, um, you know, he was there for that. I mean, that's remarkable. Yeah. <laughs> to me, you know, somebody who's this interested in the film. I did. I don't know if you've seen this, and this is kind of tangential, but uh, this new season of Arrested Development. Oh, uh, dude. Oh, my. Ju- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was, I mean, I, I got, I don't have uh, Netflix, <clears throat> but I got alerted to it very, very, like, mid-Sunday, or I think people yeah. started contacting me. And I, you know, I'll, I'll admit to, I'll, I ended up seeing it. I guess we'll just say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up seeing it, and it was just unbelievable. Yeah. And I ha- I've only seen episode five, so I haven't seen how it continues in the season because I've been told that it does. It does, yeah. They do they they do it even more. I think it's episode seven or eight or something. They do they kind of oh, blow it out okay. even bigger. But I just thought it was so funny because we had just talked about having you on, and then I turned on the season, and they're talking about Fantastic Four, the old movie. It, it was just it was a crazy coincidence. It was, yeah, timing. It's, you know, we were hoping to kind of ride some of that. We mm-hmm. were thinking, oh, maybe we can kind of, you know, because um, it's really hard. Oh, my God, this whole Indiegogo campaign, it's so difficult. Mm-hmm. We we knew it would be, but we, I mean, I teach, so I've got the summer off. So 
Um, I got a couple of side gigs here and there for like, uh, you know, video shoots or whatever, but, um, I've been working on this campaign and it's just so difficult. You know, it's great to have, to get an opportunity from people like, from guys like you, um, because we need it. We need as much exposure exposure as we can possibly get. Um, I got a quick question or a suggestion. Sure, yeah, please. Um, have you tried contacting the writers perhaps from Arrested Development that if they decided to make it that much of a part of the uh, show that perhaps yeah, they have know, like enthusiasm for it? We absolutely have not. And, <laughs> uh, and it's a terrific suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> as you're doing it, I'm slowly typing. I'm afraid yeah, to type. No, see if, you can, see if you can through. find their names, the writers on those particular episodes and whatnot, and yeah. shoot them an email and let them know that you're doing this. And perhaps uh, they have either connections or maybe they have a way. Maybe they're talking about arrest development on another show mm-hmm. and they just happen to throw it out there that, you know, the, the right. Fantastic Four that's referenced is right now trying to get a documentary made and so on and so forth. Uh, you never know. Yeah, I I think that's a terrific idea, and I'm kind of doing the the the, the head slap thing <laughs> as we're talking. Well, awesome. Because, <laughs> thank you for that. No problem. Yeah, uh, if you see like Michael Hurwitz, you know, in our uh, or Mitchell Hurwitz Mitchell, rather. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the documentary, you'll know it's because of you guys. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah. Sure. Uh, quickly on the, I, 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 sitting here, I actually have a copy of the first draft of the script. Yep. For this is where the mole wow. man appears rather prominently. My understanding yeah. was Roger went into this assuming that they, that Burns had actually optioned everything that was in the first sure. issue, and the mole man's the first issue, and was brought up short once the script was written to discover he wasn't part of the option. Right, true? and it's so it's it, it's so it's I won't I uh, you know we I'll say that we talked to. Um, you know, we have his story editor, um, Rogers, um, who we've been talking with, uh, Beverly uh, Gray. We have um, uh, Mark, and we have Craig. Um, and he's got, you know, of course, the different drafts of the scripts. And, I mean, to think that Roger, and especially in today's, you know, uh, you know superhero, um, in, you know, industrial complex for film... <laughs> The, the the thought that you could take a character without knowing it's completely cleared and, and writing it into your script, you know, it's so silly. You know, nobody's going to take an X-Man and, and, you know, put him in a, a Marvel movie mm-hmm. or take a Marvel character and put him in a Sony movie or, or pick mm-hmm. a character from the Marvel Universe because they think he's, you know, you know, they get him, you know, just because you have the Fantastic Four doesn't mean you have Galactus. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's all, there's terrific stories about that change and when the jewel, when, you know, when he became the jeweler, um, and how they had to rewrite him, and, uh, we, we get into all that. Yeah. Well, he is still the mole man. I was just reading him that way. I, I saw, or, when I, yeah. I, oh, of course that's him. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, that, no, absolutely. The, the director, Oli Sassone, who had done nothing but music videos, I guess, to that point, or maybe one, pretty, one thing for Roger. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, was apparently a very big fan of the the book itself, and did he help make some of the changes as we got from the first draft to something where their origin is really the comic book origins, particularly when compared to yeah, the really. Big I mean, I don't want to necessarily get into the new movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Oli is uh, Oli's so cool, by the way, um, and it blows because he lives in New Orleans in Louis- You know, he lives in Louisiana, mm-hmm. and Almost without exception, except for Jay, uh, who lives in Seattle, um, most of, if not everybody, is still within like a 30-mile radius, you know, of where, uh, you know, Mark lives and where I'll be staying on his couch for a month. <laughs> um, 
so you know, and we I've talked to Oli, and you know, he's really excited about it. Um, and uh, he did so much on his own, you know, past his contract and commitment to Roger for this film because he was so invested in the characters and the movie and the actors. But they're friggin' they're going to conventions on their own dime, you know, to, wow. to sign, um, you know, with a with a banner behind them. Um, to build up, uh, you know, uh, interest for it within the comic book industry. I was at one of those shows, funnily enough, you know, 18 years ago um, in L.A. And, you know, they were just so giving it their all. And, you know, they had thousands of movie posters made. Uh, and, you know, and they're just sitting in these big boxes. You know, Mark, uh, you know, we have a couple boxes of them. And then most of them went in the dumpsters. And, you know, everybody would take one home that day or something. But they just tossed them pins and slides. And these are all things that you're going to see for the perks in the Indiegogo campaign. You can get these, you know, we, mint condition or not mint, but near mint. However, you, uh, you know, we know about grading in this, yeah. <laughs> you know, hobby that we do. Um, God forbid you say mint, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I never say M, I always say NM. Yeah. Um, even if it is M. But, um, and they just tossed all this crap, you know, and then uh, it was gone. They started making Carnosaur 2, you know, that was yeah, the yeah. next machine. Now, this uh, was Roger's highest budgeted film, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I forget the exact amounts, but, you know, I think the, 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 the most popular kind of assessment is that it was like 1 2. Um, and some of that was Roger, and some of that was uh, burned uh, in a new Constantine, who became Constantine Films. Um, and, you know, they co-produced it. And, you know, Roger can do a lot on a little. Um, mm. and, and he can't make a guy stretch um, <laughs> any, any good. And the tripping part is the best part of the movie. I showed that to my... I watched, and that's the thing about this movie. I showed it to my son at a pretty young age. Um, you know, maybe eight and, and he was kind of into it, you know, and this would make a terrific kind of family, you know, uh, you know, film, a DVD release that, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to, the, the thought that people are going to confuse the two properties is so ludicrous yeah. in today's market, you know, with Arrow on TV and mm -hmm. the Wonder Woman, uh, you know, pilot. Have you guys seen that? The, uh, the one from a couple of years ago? The David E. Kelly. Oh, yeah, I own it. Steve and I have yeah. sat in my living room and drunk tweeted it as a matter of fact. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Oh, geez, really? God, yeah. I would love to find them. What are the, find me the dates on those because I'll go back and, and I'll rewatch it. I'll time it so that uh, and I'll scroll along with you. Yeah, that was our, uh, that was our, our Wonder Woman pilot night as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would actually defend it. I really would, and I don't, I'm sure you guys are on the other side because everybody else is not everybody. But and this is the one where they have green screen and the and mm -hmm. the uh, yeah. In insert the, uh, uh, insert effects here or yeah. uh, darken up her pants. Comes yeah, up on I love here. that stuff. I love the uh, Wolverine, the uh, uh, Origins. Um, oh, the bootleg. Yeah, the bootleg. I, I like the bootleg better than the actual movie. <laughs> That's terrific, you know, because he never has claws, because, <laughs> yep. you know, very rarely, you know, because they're CG, so it's, it's and they're not in yet. <laughs> I love the part where the uh, the hood of the car is ripping apart, and there's absolutely oh. nothing there, and it's just splitting yeah. <laughs> in three spots. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the whole helicopter scene yeah. is the best. <laughs> but it also shows you how you can watch something, you know, at that stage and then see it finished, and for all it's, you know, the movie's a piece of crap. Um, but that scene, it still looks good. They did so much work, post-production work. How they can get from that to that is remarkable these days. Mm -hmm. You know, in Oli's time with Fantastic Four, 
you know, everything was practical. Everything was on set, you know, except for a human torch flying at the end and a big laser and all that. Um, and, you know, of course, some of the space stuff. But you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It was really, it was real legs sticking out. It was really um, people in costumes running around punching each other. And it's terrific. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what I've, I've been a proselytizer for this film for nearly 20 years, even when it was supposed to be coming out. I mean, huh? I was sitting here with my own little collection of the film threat where they had the cover and Los Angeles magazine. Yeah. I actually own one of those one sheets. It's hanging in my hallway. You have, have one? Yeah, I bought it at a comic book convention, science fiction convention here that summer of 94. Cool. What'd you pay for it? 15 bucks. Oh, dude. Did he have more? You should have just... He had a box of them. But who knew? The, the movie was coming yeah. out at that point, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Exactly. I mean, I mean, I get one sheets eh, not as often as I used to. Um, yeah, as I look up in my cliched vertigo one um, here. Uh, I'm looking that, at one I, I have one in my, my... Right here where we're recording. I have the same one. I really yeah <laughs> oh, oh my god that's so cool yeah. I've had it for years I've had it for years and years and years and at some point it got really kind of you know hipsterish mm-hmm. to own that poster and you see it in like shows where you know somebody's a hipster and they put a vertigo you know or a cinephile <laughs> arrogant person they put a vertigo it's come but it's too bad because now I feel like people think I'm riding that wave and I'm like no man I had it first <laughs> I had it first <laughs> So how are, I want, on, how are we on time? We need to wrap it up, but I just wanted, okay. I wanted to ask, um, uh, are you still reading Fantastic Four, the new books that are coming on the stands? And if you are, what are you thinking of them? Wow, you know what? I'm absolutely not. Okay. Um, I, uh, I'm such a DC guy, you know, to a fault. I mean, literally, uh, I read no Marvel books. Oh, wow. Um, un- yeah, unless something happens that, mm. you know, you pick up Spider-Man 600 or whatever. Right. Um and, uh, like, the last book I think I read from Marvel was Moon Knight. Um, oh, wow. And how long ago was that? Probably a while ago. Years. Yeah, years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> four years, maybe. Three yeah. or four years. Yeah. So I haven't read anything sequentially, um, you know, a series, I don't think, since then. So, yeah, I'm into, like, you know, I'm, I like Jeff Johns a mm-hmm. lot. I know a lot of people don't. Um, uh, I like, I just, I love the DC universe, mm-hmm. you know. The Green Lantern was the biggest disappointment of my life. I saw that with like my twelve-year-old son, who I who I got to love Green Lantern too, and we're both in. You know, I've got the the porcelain, uh, uh, um, cold cast DC Direct, you know, real size lantern that I paid nice. three hundred and fifty dollars for, <laughs> you know, fifteen years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, oh, that movie just destroyed me. I was so <laughs> disappointed. I don't know what they're gonna do, mm-hmm. man. Wouldn't you love to just be the like for DC to come to you and say, okay, how can we fix all this? Yeah, we've done we shows all, about we did, this. We did a whole yeah. podcast about that. <laughs> yeah, we. Oh, do you? Yeah, we did a whole one. We did a whole fi- like fixing the DC oh. movie universe. Yeah. Oh God! I'm, as soon as I get off, the, although America's got talent on tonight, I want to see, <laughs> <all> that. <laughs> I want to see Howard Stern. Yeah, um, talent's right here. But uh, yeah, oh, I'll absolutely listen to that. Oh, that's cool. Terrific. Yeah. Um, are you excited for Man of Steel though? Oh, I'm just thrilled. I'm yeah. so thrilled. I'm. Again, I know a lot of people, a lot of my friends are, you know, uh, are soothsaying that it's going to be awful and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, why are they making it so dreary and Superman's hope and blah, 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 blah. I think it looks cool. <laughs> absolutely does. Yeah, it absolutely looks very cool. I agree. Uh, <laughs> I was just, one quick thing, maybe you should make a movie about that Justice League pilot, too, with David oh, Ogden yeah. Stiers. That's a classic. Oh, I, do, do you guys have the extended version? Of well, there's an extended version? It's, uh, <laughs> it's like a 80-minute version and yeah, what wow, they did really? was they needed to get it to a 90-minute runtime. They needed to get it to 90 minutes to sell to foreign markets as a TV movie. 
So they went back and they did these interview segments with all of the characters that they interspersed throughout it, talking about life as a superhero. And, yes. and also kind of, I think, maybe moving the story along, too, in some awful way. <laughs> and they just threw them all in there. And just, oh, it's effing awful. But it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds awesome. Yeah, it sounds yeah. It does sound awesome. Something to do for tomorrow. Search that one out. Yeah. <laughs> when, 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 we, um, when, we, you know, when we get off the air, we'll communicate more. And, um, yeah, I can get you a copy of that. <laughs> oh, awesome. Cool. Great. That's great. All right. Uh, Marty, um, the the doomed uh, Indiegogo campaign. How many days does does it have left right now? Uh, I want to say seventeen. I'm looking on the browser, sixteen. 16? Yeah, sixty. I'm looking yeah, at it right now. Dot yeah, Joey wins. <laughs> yeah, don't don't tell the total. Oh my God, don't say the total. But it's so awful. It's so it's like I'm progressing kind of refreshed all the time. We need more money. <laughs> <laughs> well, but guys, listening, so. if you guys have been listening and it seems like you're something interested in, please go to the link. We'll put the link into the, the show notes. Uh, if you guys just listen on iTunes, the website's talkingcombooks.com, and you'll see the podcast post. Uh, it'll be the first thing probably up there. Click on there. You'll see the link to the Indian Go-Go. And if it seems something interesting to you and if you like the perks, please uh, donate. Um, and the perks start at all sorts of levels. What's the lowest one, Marty? Um, we had changed up only because we added a couple, but I think we've got the ten dollar one, the Doombot. All right. So for ten dollars, you get you you get a perk, and you know this is something I want to see done. This is a very interesting story, and I think it's in today's kind of superhero culture where where the movies have become such big business and such well oiled machines. The fact that this story might not ever happen again, a story like this. And so I think it's something that, you know, deserves to be out there and told. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well said. That's great. Wow. It is well said, isn't it? Thank you so much. Yeah. Of course, Marty. And thank you so much for giving us your time uh, and, and talking with us. And uh, we will uh, we'll absolutely talk to you again. Thank you, Marty, so much for joining us on Talking Comics. Thank you. As we promised, we're going to be talking about Brian Wood and Oliver Copiel's X Men number one. Uh, we still have, you know, me, Steve, Bob, and Joey here, but we're welcoming in uh, Mara Whiteside, who wrote a great gender issues column on talkingcomicbooks.com about X Men uh, number one. Mara, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Um, so before we get to this comic book business, uh, <laughs> you got married. I did. How was the wedding? <laughs> it was fantastic. We had a Gotham City cake. Wow. Uh-huh. And um, we had vintage video games during the reception, uh, comic books on all the tables. <laughs> we wow. lost a few of the action figures from our cake and the comic books, but the kids took off with them. So I feel if kids 
took off with our toys, it's okay. Absolutely. As long as it was kids, it's, it's totally okay. It's planting <laughs> seeds. Yeah. Now, um, as, as I recall, to get engaged, your fiancé at the time, current husband, sent you a bunch of themed comic books, covers? Right. I, I got um, 14 comic books that had weddings in them. Wow. That's so I've got a pretty good collection of wedding comic books. That's, <laughs> that's something kind of special. That's pretty awesome. Sounds like, like he's a keeper. I like that. Yeah, he yeah. is. He's, Apparently. He's, he's, we, I would hope so. <laughs> we approve. Yeah. 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 Um, you have our blessing. You had some pretty sweet shoes, too. You, saw, you put a picture of yeah. those on Twitter, right? The Wonder Woman shoes. Yes. For my reception, I made a pair of Mod Podge Wonder Woman shoes. Yeah. Awesome. They're pretty it, awesome. Pretty everyone awesome. just flipped out about them. They thought they were the most amazing thing in the world. <sighs> Well, so sounds like an awesome. I'm jealous that I was not there. Yeah, I had, yeah. One, I had one question. Where was my invitation? <laughs> <laughs> you guys would have to come all the way down to South Arkansas for that. Ah, uh, I've never been. <laughs> I would love to come out. Yeah, what about a whole lot? Yeah, <laughs> a meet and greet the whole thing. You're gonna at the very least have to post the video on the website. <laughs> yeah, I saw some people um, recording our first band and my like, walk down the aisle and, and things like that. So hopefully. I'll get some pictures and videos up on Facebook and Twitter. Cool. And awesome. even Tumblr, too. Awesome. <clears throat> so, uh, back to the topic. We, uh, you know, this book was announced a few months ago, and uh, it got a lot of, of press, obviously, because it is an all-female team of, of X-Men. Um, I would say most of that press was positive, but some of it was very, you know, is this a gimmick? Uh, even Stephanie brought up on the show, like, why does it have to be an all-female team? Why can't they be with the men and you know, hold their own? Uh, but now the book's here, all of that kind of stuff kind of fades away because now we have the book in front of us. And uh, Mara, I want to start with you. You, you uh, wrote the Gender Issues column about it. What did you think of X-Men number one by Brian Wood? I was very impressed because, first off, you really don't get to feel that female empowerment, this is a women issue book. It's just... It reads like a regular comic book. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. almost you can almost put gender out of your mind while you're reading it. And it has the action elements. It has the threat of you know world endangerment, and it's not a lot of you know oh I have to prove myself because I'm a woman or you know we have this sisterhood bond. It's we're teammates. This is what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That that was the th- first thing that struck me as well is that I think that the the gender is immaterial to what the book is about mm-hmm. and it's just about a group of kick-ass great characters doing what they do it's just it really is just an x-men book you know and, and i think that's a pretty special thing um and he's been saying this all along he's saying it's not a gimmick it's not, this is just an x-men book and uh, i think that it pulls it off really well i mean yeah. bob what did you think Look, not to denigrate any of the other X books on the stands, mm-hmm. this one reads like a Claremont Byrne X book mm-hmm. from the '80s. It is Absolutely. a yeah, it's a great sci-fi action adventure story. There are great friendships. The characters are my famous word on model. Mm-hmm. They're the characters I remember. Mm-hmm. I haven't read an X Men book in years. That's Rogue. Rogue mm-hmm. is just kicking butt and taking names. Yeah, I mean, right. it's just she's doing what she does. Storm is in charge. Jubilee right. is hysterical. Mm-hmm. These are. The classic characters, they're in a classic, loving way by a creator who really cares. Actually, too, because yeah. Alfred Koipel's art is so expressive, so oh, yeah. wonderful. Best. Absolute best. Yeah, it, it, it's fantastic. Steve, what did you think of the book? Uh, I really, really dug it. Mm-hmm. I, I read it a couple nights ago. I finally got my mitts on it, and I love Koipel. He, I first saw his work when he did Thor. 
uh, a while back and just mm-hmm. fell in love with his line work and his his ability to make the characters look very humanist. Like they look like real people, but mm-hmm. at the same time, they still look imbued with powers. It's almost like underlying in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the powers that we did get to see. I loved the display of them, particularly a uh, couple of moments with Kitty where she's phasing in and out mm-hmm. of things. Just the the choices of how deep to put her into something before you cut the image of her entering it off. Mm-hmm. Like there was one, uh, one image where it almost looked like she was like that classic, uh, like action movie where they're coming out of the lake or the yeah. water yes. yeah. and yeah. all the, the muck and everything. It's just their eyes at first and, and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was, it's very interesting. I love the idea that it so far, it feels very, uh, localized but the the hints the beginning of it being much much larger are there Mm. and i've i don't know the threat and i i found that i was very interested to find out more about it and i just i like the the disbursement of the story it was very intriguing you got to see lots of great action and uh, i think it's a really really great start i'm so and i'm so psyched to have psylocke in a book that i'm i'm enjoying reading yeah. i'm a little the other books that she's in i'm kind of waving you know wavering on and right. she's one of my favorite characters including rogue mm-hmm. and it's nice to see jubilee back in a book where you really everybody used to make fun of her when yeah. uh you it was was a dazzler in the video game back in the day or she was in the X-Men cartoon. She's in the X-Men cartoon. She was in the, car- she right. was in the video Annoyed game. the bejesus out of right. me. Right, so she was always, she was always like, if you had the pack of dogs, she was always that dog that came yapping at the it, end. Yeah. Um, in this book, that is not who she is. No. And I think we're going to get a lot out of her character, that this is going to be a really great turnaround for her reputation uh, as an X-Man. I think mm. it's going to be great. Yeah, and I mean, what I loved about it is, A, I like, I like that it's not like, this tectonic giant, like we're changing the the landscape of the X Men thing, you know, like we've gotten that a lot over the last couple of years. I like that it's just it's a number one, but it feels like it's part of that universe. And it's like this is an adventure in that universe. I really like that they just it, they have the powers on display immediately. It's not it, this is not a sitting not a chamber room drama where they're talking about what's going to happen and then it's going to happen later. I like books like that, but this book I love that it just went right out of the gate. Rogue's doing her thing, Storm's doing her thing, Kitty Pryde's doing her thing. We get to see Psylocke with her psionic bow. Oh, that's crazy. Awesome. And I'm happy, too, about the Psylocke thing because, and I think, I, I know, I'm not sure if Joey's read it or not, but I know Mara will agree with me. Her, her depiction in Uncanny X-Force, the yeah. Remender series. The is, Remender years. Yeah, the Remender years. It's so fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. it, and it, it's kind of come up short in this new Uncanny X-Force, so it's nice to see her back. Being the right. how good she was there. I mean, Mar, do you agree with that? Yeah. Well, the the most disappointing thing about you know Marvel now Uncanny X Force is just how angry Psylocke was. Mm-hmm. Yes, she had a right to be, but that's not. I don't know. Psylocke being extremely angry and cursing in a book and just you know having mm-hmm. a giant chip on her shoulder instead of doing her job that doesn't that doesn't match well with the character for me. Right. And mm-hmm. you know just. Just that pose where Rachel's talking to, I cannot remember the guy's name who comes oh, in. Sublime. Sublime. Yeah. Sublime. Yeah. And she's, she's just up on that roof doing her job. She's yeah. not, you know, up in his face or anything like that. She's, you know, the, the strong, silent soldier. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Joey, you reviewed the book for us at tongue What did you think of it? 
I thought it was one of the most, uh, I think Bob mentioned this, one of the most X-Men-y books that I've <laughs> read in a, in a while. And I've been reading X-Men, you know, since I was 11, you know, and uh, it's the book that got me into comics and, and why I read it. So, and one of the things that I did when I was a teenager was pick up those, you know, Marvel Masterworks Claremont books, you know, the Dark Phoenix saga and all of that. And one of the things that I really liked about this book and that I knew I was going to like about this book is during that opening sequence with, with Jubilee, the narration is talking about, you know, family, right? Mm -hmm. And during those Claremont years, it was this kind of sci-fi soap opera family drama, right? And in the last 10 years or so with the House of M and all of the Grant Morrison stuff, you have this more kind of uh, subversive, like, we have to survive extinction, radical, revolutionary stuff, which is great. And I'm loving what Bendis is doing over in All New and, and Uncanny. But this, to me, is more the heart of what, of what made X-Men Marvel's biggest franchise in the 80s, 90s, and early 00s. Mm. Um, and I think Brian Wood is just the perfect person to take over that if, if that is the regard just because of his his uh characterization ability just his ability to capture uh these personalities on the page um the one thing that i was wondering about and and that i did enjoy was the the presence of the powers but i'm wondering what jubilee's power set is right now considering the storylines that she's been going through with you know the vampire stuff and all of that that was something that interestingly wasn't brought up in the book and, I, and I'm interested to see where that, that goes um, but yeah I thought it was just an amazing amazing intro issue yeah. to what I think someone is help be a me with book. this Joey help me out here vampire oh yeah when they launched X-Men uh, a couple of years ago they did another you know volume 3 or whatever uh, mm. the volume that Wood was working on before they relaunched it was supposed to be the X-Men in the Marvel Universe kind of book and uh, I think it was Victor Gershler was writing it at the time and he did the whole story arc with Dracula and, and all the vampires and, and Jubilee was one of the the victims oh, as goodness. it were because she was originally, she was depowered in House of M and uh, then she became a vampire and then she was in <laughs> Wolverine comics. and Marjorie Liu's X23 book, X23 book and then mm. I didn't even know that uh, I don't know what what happened with her because I didn't I didn't pick up those books and then she showed up in here and she wasn't throwing around the little fireworks so I didn't know <laughs> what I didn't know what the story was and hopefully I'm I'm sure it will be will be addressed or maybe she's just running around with a baby and mm -hmm. that's her new kind of shtick. Uh, she didn't have which, a chance yet. That's mm -hmm. all. yeah yeah. And, I didn't uh, even think about the fact that she didn't use any powers. Like I haven't read anything with her in such a long time that I wasn't right. even thinking about. It. I was like. She's just not throwing out the little firework balls because they're not very effective. That's the only reason. That's, I guess I rationalized it in my head. Um, you know what? It reminded me a little bit, and I haven't read all this. I've only read the first arc of it, but it reminded me in a lot of the Whedon, Cassidy, yes. Astonishing X-Men. It had that same feeling to me. Uh, that kind of launch. Because that's the same sort of thing. It it launched uh, you know, very high-profile team, but didn't really reinvent the wheel as far as what it was doing with characters. It slipped into continuity and it did its thing in, in kind of a quiet way, but then ended up being this amazing run. And I think that's this is what that feels like to me. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, Joey, you may back me up on this. I get the X Factor vibe. The original? Well, the one now. That it's, oh, the one now. Oh, yeah. Right, that it's sort of its own little thing off in the corner that it mm -hmm. will interact because we've seen some of these characters, but it is very much its own animal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Definitely, and it, it, it there does seem to be a mission statement with it, and it, I think it's set out in those first couple of pages. Uh, Jubilee playing up that idea of you know uh, the X Men are my family. I was orphaned, and they took me in, and they taught me how to be a good person, and, and that seems to be kind of the mission statement of the book. Um, and, I, and I agree with kind of the comments from before about it's not you know women X Men you know kind of feminist agenda thing that the dirt sheets made it out to be when it was announced mm-hmm. um and i again i think that's a testament to to brian wood really having a handle on not only these characters but where he wants to take this book and and i think it does deal with this idea of the x-men as not only these superheroes but a family and and a group of people that support each other and help each other each other become better and right. i think jubilee at the core of that i think is is always works um, well, I think oh. if we're looking at X-Men versus Fearless Defenders, which mm-hmm. is another female team book, you do get that feminist, hear me roar, you know, I'm more powerful than men kind of vibe from mm-hmm. that book, which is which is good for that story. Right. But it's a, it's a totally different, it's, I think it's a good testament to the way that women can be written in comic books. Right. And that they don't have to be shoehorned into one personality or another. We can have a totally different um, stuff going on. Yeah. Mara, what did you think of the art in the book and kind of, I know they're not all, all the characters are not redesigned, but in, in a lot of ways, you know, the way that they're depicted is different than they've been depicted in the more recent Marvel books. What did you think of the art? As far as the art goes, I thought it was really well done. It mm-hmm. wasn't distracting, which I, I think is, um, you know, sometimes you get in, caught up in a new series and you're like why are they drawing them like this or what's going on here but it just seems so seamless like it makes sense to have, for Rogue to have a little bit of a softer edge at times and then the way that Storm was drawn was just very regal like oh, yeah. her the way that um, she carries herself you could tell like yeah she knows what she's doing and I just you know it just it all fit together very well mm-hmm and Psylocke is wearing lots of clothes, which is a different thing for I her character. That's that. always good. Yeah. <laughs> that time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Steve? You want yeah, to- I actually have a question for Mara. Uh, are you happy with the team members for the X-Men book? Is there anybody that you would have liked to have seen added to the team? Or is there anybody that you would like to have come into the story later on? Well, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say X-23. Yes. Um, I was reading the comments in the back of the the book, the letters page, and it seemed like four or five different people said something about X-23. Yeah. <laughs> and I think um, I missed the series, and I missed seeing that character portrayed in such a diverse light. Mm-hmm. And I think that she would benefit, the character would benefit from um, that many mentors. And I think that was really a huge thing for her solo run in uh, Marjorie Lee. Yeah. Was that all these people came in to help mentor her. Right. And with a group of strong female X-Men characters, it's just like, you know, could really benefit from this team who really needs to be on here. Yeah. It'd be kind of cool to get her a little bit out of the darkness, I think. Yeah. You know, bring her... um, Avengers Arena right now? Uh, yeah, I'm not fully caught up. Is she? She is in that, right? I think so. I'm not reading yeah, it, so I wouldn't. I, I, I believe she is. 
I just I would like to see her be a part of this in a sense of that I think it would like like I said remove some of the darkness it would give her a chance to be heroic again mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. maybe add some some more nuances and levels to her character and kind of bring her back into the spotlight I think she's a character that totally deserves it yeah yeah mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. um and, and I don't know what they're gonna do I mean obviously the 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 young Jean Grey, who is now in the present time, she's kind of very intrinsic to the events of the the mainline X-Men stuff, so I don't necessarily think you'll see her crossover. But if, if she becomes a status quo character after this kind of arc is done, I think it'd be a good place for her to be too, because she's got to learn to be, you know, the the powerful mutant that she's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that it would be cool to see her there as well. I also think it's interesting because the book has this full female roster of characters but it's not an exclusionary book it doesn't feel like a world where you know you know some of the 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 male characters in the in the universe could come in as as the arc progresses and as the stories change which i think is a good thing i think that i i I love the cast and the, the reason i love the cast is not because it's all women i love it because it's a set of characters who are underserved in a lot of other books. Absolutely. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and it j- happens that they are female characters because those characters get underserved a lot. Um, mm. But I would like to see other, you know, I, I would be fine with male characters who are underserved being part of that team as well because I, I think Brian Wood is such a masterful character uh, builder that he's the kind of guy who can save characters and t- kind of take coal and make it a diamond with, with a lot of characters who have been, uh, you know, kind of down Schitt's Creek for a, a, a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the one scene, it's in the hallway in the school where there's yeah. a, a fight between two characters I've I never was, seen before. Yeah. Blink, Blink and Mercury. Yeah. yeah. Um, you instantly know six or seven characters by a word balloon. Mm-hmm. You know, right. Storm is being in charge. You know, Rogue is a little roguish. Yeah. It just all works. And it's just a great introduction for people who may have only seen the cartoons or the movies mm-hmm. and are looking at this well it's an issue one mm-hmm. I can jump on board well you really can here yeah. do we have any guesses as to what that's all about that little scuffle inside of the school um, was that like a was that established maybe elsewhere or is that something well, new that they'll question. probably well, something that I thought and again having been versed like having seen these characters before having read you know these stories is that I believe that Bling um, is is a lesbian so perhaps Ah. We're dealing with a crush. I don't know. That's where my mind went just because I know the characters. But it was just kind of, it was like intriguing enough that like, ooh, mm-hmm. there's this other storyline going on in addition to this kind of super villainy stuff. And that's kind of what, what makes, I, I felt like this could only be done with the X-Men. Like you really couldn't do this kind of book with another team you know you think about the x-men and this was something that a lot of the the criticism when it was flying around about oh why is it all all girls on the team and and all of that i was like but but some of the most prominent x-men it almost outranks male to female you know what i mean like you got cyclops wolverine colossus maybe gambit you know like and these six here other than you know rachel gray really um are you know I'll use the word household names, but at least comic dumb names, you know, and, and it's just very fascinating in that, in that regard. Yeah. And I mean, even, sorry, Mara, go ahead. No, Mara, go. I was going to say, I like to think of this team as, you know, if you were to just pick a well-rounded team, that's what you would get regardless of gender. Mm -hmm. You don't make a big deal when you see an X-Men team that has all men. Right. If they're Mm well-rounded. And that's, that's kind of, 
the approach that I think a lot of people are missing on this book is that it, it, sure they're all women, but they're all you have your your leader, your brawler, you have a, you know controller classes, telepaths, things like that that make a well-rounded team. Why does it matter if it's a female character or not? Yeah, and that's the question I wanted to ask you, Mara. You know, um, even the press, even questioning like and calling it a gimmick. Is you think there's some like a uh, kind of underpinned, maybe not even conscious sexism going on there for the like you said, said if it was an all male team, no one would have blinked an eye. Of course, right. I mean, I'd, I'd like to think that you know Marvel fans have been asking for a long time to get more female centric books, mm-hmm. and now that we've gotten like Captain Marvel and Heroes Defenders, Red She Hulk, I think that stopped though. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, even Avengers Assemble having more female characters coming in, and this is just an extension of that. It's just natural progression in my mind. Mm-hmm. But I can see someone who isn't clamoring for it as much as I am, looking at it as, oh, they're just you know they're just doing that so people would pick it up, instead of they're just doing that because this is it's about time we had a great all female book. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, mean, I, I oh. could see if maybe it was drawn in such a way that it was one of those. Target books where the the outfits were bar- were barely there, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. posture, their spines look like pretzels, <laughs> and their you know and all of these these poses and and action poses and whatnot. But it's a very like they're all dressed down. The outfits look amazing. The the re- whatever, whoever was redesigned was redesigned very well. Mm. Right. And like like Mara was saying, it's a it's a solid team. You know, you have Jubilee who is I, I guess would be the heart. You have Storm, who's the commander, the leader, and just everybody that's involved, their abilities all serve, like, they they cover the spectrum, Mm -hmm. you know? And there's always the opportunity to add more. It's not like we're not going to see other characters involved in these stories. It's going to be a a mixed world of male-female when we get there. Right. You know? And uh, I think people just need to learn to have some patience. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Oh, come on. Three months before, you go hysterical all over the internet. That's yeah, the that's new way what, of that's comics. What, that's yeah. what happens every time. And it's one of the things where you just look at, for me, you just look at the people behind it. You look at Brian Wood, who his track record of the last couple of years has been absolutely stellar. You, right. you know, you look at the, an artist who is a fantastic artist. You look at all of the, the images coming out. And I think they did a very good job, by the way, on this book. And maybe it was because the conversation was so focused on the, the team of the book of... The, the actual content and story of the book, I had no idea what to expect opening the book. You know, I knew that it was, these characters were going to be there. You know, I had thought it was going to be a much a much smaller first issue. I figured, you know, we'll be in the school, we'll learn how, you know, what's going on in the school, they'll do a couple of things, and at the end, you'll, the threat will appear, and we'll, you know, and then it'll be like, okay, this is coming next. Um, but the way they just kind of blew it out and, and went for the, the gusto, and, and the way Wood was able to take action moments and make them character moments. Yeah. You, you know, it is, it is something that I, some is something that only great writers can do. You know, it's a, when you see that moment with like Mara said, Ty, like just doing her job, you know, with that sonic bow and the way she's talking, you, you, you automatically know she's a telepath because she's speaking in people's heads. Mm-hmm. You know, you can tell that she means business. You can tell that people are scared of her, you mm-hmm. know, uh, um, to all those things with really having very, very little time spent with her. Um, you know, you get to see Rogue. I haven't see, I haven't read a book where Rogue did something as cool as she does in this book, and I, I think since I started reading yeah. comics again, you know. Yeah. So yeah. seeing her do that thing to, with that train, I, 
it was like, oh, right, Rogue can do that, you know, and the way the kind of almost like glee she has in doing it and stuff, uh, all that stuff communicates such a great character to you without having to go big dialogue mm-hmm. scenes. Um, and the fact that they include a little of that school stuff gets me excited because, like Joey was saying, you know, that kind of stuff is not, you can't do that in an Avengers book. There's no Absolutely. like, there's no kids, you know. There's no, there's no day to day. Everything's at eleven all of the time because what the hell else are the Avengers together for, <laughs> other than to stop yeah. the biggest threats in the universe? But the X Men are always together. They live together. They spend all of their time together. So the fact that you get to see kind of this more personal drama between them is very exciting because it, you, you, it's not something that's going to go away. It can keep going. And it doesn't have to be the center of the book, but it can be a color on top of this action stuff, which makes you want to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's that one panel when they, they bring the baby to the school. Yeah. And yeah. All, all the characters are just gathered around this baby that mm. is so human. That's what we all would do. Yeah. And yeah, they all are dupe included, just sort of <laughs> hanging out, looking at a baby. It's like, yeah. come on. I mean, he, yeah, got them all there. The- those are the baseball moments. Those are them yes. watching the TV that that yeah. that are that we're not necessarily getting in the Bendis books, which mm-hmm. again aren't. I think I love them. They're mm-hmm. great, and it's a very different book. But you know, there was a time when there were baseball games every like four issues yeah. in the X Men. <laughs> no, it, it was and, awesome. Yeah. It really was. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's what what Bob was saying before about the X Factor vibe. You know, it's very similar, right? They have this investigations thing, and they just but most of the book is them hanging around, you know, yeah. sitting on the kitchen counter. And I think that in this book, that's what we're going to get. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really excited for that. Yeah, yeah. somewhere six months from there, there'll be an issue where they do nothing. Yeah. Uh-huh. They'll sit around the school and rag on each other yeah. a bit. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be great, too. <laughs> and uh, I really did... Also, I like the fact that, you know, we talk a lot about th- these books that are part of arcs, and, you know, we talk about writing for the trade. Um, and there are... But this issue, what I love about it is that it's definitely part of a larger story, and we're, we see, we're, we see it coming. But it has this, um, it has a theme of its own, and it, and it closes off its theme. It has a beginning, middle, and end. You know, it bookends all of its stuff. It feels like a complete piece of fiction without with hooks for a later later story. But it, it doesn't feel like I'm reading the first scene of a movie. You know. Um, and I love that about it. I, I love the yeah. fact that I feel like I'm getting some substantial for the 30 pages or whatever uh, of the book. Um, yeah, characters within the issue had an arc. I, I felt complete yeah. having mm-hmm. read yeah. the thing and not sort of, oh, did I just read over 20 pages, 10 pages? Mm-hmm. The usual decompressed thing that I'm yeah. complaining about. Yeah. So, uh, Bob, oh, so no. do, you have, do you have another book to add to your pull list? Yes, this replaces the sadly canceled X Factor. <laughs> nice. oh, I'm weeping. I'm weeping <laughs> tears. Well, we right still got now. what six to go? Eight? Yeah, six. Yeah, but in the course of just a couple of months. Yeah, because they come out so often. Ship. Yeah. Um, Mara, are you are you reading uh, any of the other X books? I have been reading X Force. Okay. And I read the first couple of issues of all new X Men, and then I got behind. And <laughs> when you miss one of them, yeah, <laughs> it's a lot easier to miss. Four or five. Yeah. Well, especially because the first six came out in about six weeks. So, yeah. yeah. It, it, was tough. It, was, it was way easy for me to just forget. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly I'm 10 issues behind or something like that. But that is definitely one that I enjoyed reading, mm-hmm. at least in the beginning. Um, and, and I have everything since then. I mean, I've been buying it every week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm <just> not <laughs> it. Oh, so you have it collected. You just haven't been reading it. Yeah. Gotcha. Right. Uh, so. So in X Force, I mean, we talked about Psylocke, 
a, a little bit mm-hmm. and the difference in the characterization there. Um, Storm is also in X-Force, right? Right. Um, how is the characterization between those two characters in, in these two books? It seems pretty um, similar. Okay. As far as Storm and X-Force, me has that leadership position as well as in the X-Men book where she's kind of coming in as the, um, you know, it, it's assumed that she is the leader. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's Storm. People are going to do what she says. And that. I, I like how that's portrayed in Uncanny Exports. You know, just is. Mm-hmm. B- um, so, you know, obviously, you know, you, you wrote the Gender Issues column uh, before the book came out. Um, right. And, uh, well, first of all, the people, maybe people who haven't read it, why don't you kind of say what you wrote about it in, in the column um, and, and kind of how now you've, would you've written anything differently now that the book is out that and, and, and uh, before when you hadn't read the book? Well, before I hadn't read the book, all you had to go by is what the internet was saying about it. You know, that who's on the team, all these people who are complaining about it being all female, why it's important, et cetera, et cetera. And now after reading the book, I think everything that Wood has said about it being just an X-Men book still holds true. Mm-hmm. It still has that same feel. It's still emphasizing the fact that these are superheroes first and then women second mm, right. and I think that you know that's something like I mentioned in Fearless about Fearless Defenders I really enjoy that series but there's a lot of look at us we're a team of women going on mm-hmm. whereas in X-Men it's look at us we're a, a team right so. that means that's but as far great. as um, looking at what I mentioned in gender issues is that why why is it such a big deal Mm-hmm. Why are people so offended? Why does it matter? Why don't you even give it a shot? Right. Uh, and you, guys, you really should check it out. If you go to TalkingComicBooks.com and you click on Columns, there's a section for gender issues. You you wrote the one on X-Men, and now you also wrote one on Brian Wood's Star Wars, correct? Right. It's kind of a Brian Wood month going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one easily led into the other, and I think that the way Brian Wood has been writing females, or at least what I've read of mm-hmm. his, it's been very true to what I've seen in my own life. Right. As far as, you know, how women actually talk to each other and interact with each other mm-hmm. rather than what's assumed or portrayed on TV or other media. Right. Because, I mean, you see a lot of times, you know, you, there's like extremes of times you see. You see either they're basically, you know, sort of lack of a better terminology, sexual objects, or they're right. men with boobs, basically. You know, th- that seems to be <laughs> the, the two ways that they get written, you know, because... I, I I think that obviously writing the the people who write the men with boobs kind of characters are, are I think trying to be better about mm-hmm. it, but they still I think miss the point uh, of yeah. the differences in, in in the two genders. Exactly. Yeah. Um. And do, do you know who you what you're doing for your next one, Mara? I'm still I'm still thinking about it. I don't, I'm debating between going between a series or focusing on a creator. Gotcha. And you know I want to branch out. I'm stuck in my Marvel mode right now (laughs) because of what they've been putting out. So I'm going to try to stay away from Marvel for the next one. Okay. All right. Might might be looking at Batgirl. Okay. That'd be great. Nice. I'd love to read that one. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, so guys, make sure you go check that out. Um, Mara, do you have anything else you want to say about X-Men before we we let you go? Um, They have digital editions of it. 
So if it's sold out in your comic book stores, you can still get a copy of it from Comicsology. All right. Awesome. But before you go, Marla, you can help me out here. I'm forgetting the name of it's a formula for checking dramatics for being sort of gender neutral. And uh-huh. in, in this case where you have women having conversations that is not that are not involving men. Mm-hmm. Right. Where the Bechdel there's, test. What's that? Bechdel test. Uh. There you go. Thank you so much, Joey. <laughs> Uh, but it's yeah. very true here. They're just talking about superhero stuff, life stuff, whatever's going on around them, and it hasn't turned into sex in the city. Right. <laughs> Which had, there were a lot of people, there were comments on the internet before the mm. book came out, screaming, yelling, oh, I don't want to see a book that's going to look like, uh, shut up. Just, just told you to <laughs> shut up and read the book first. Who's the Samantha? That's who I want to yeah. know. <laughs> oh, Rogue, Beast. you're such a yeah. charlotte. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, All right. You um, just lost some man points right there. Yeah, that's right. I, I, don't, I didn't have very many man points to begin with, so I'm not really too worried about Nor it. Nor I. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so that's our discussion about uh, X-Men number one. Uh, Mara, thank you so much uh, for coming on and talking with us. Yay. Um, thank you. And, what is your Twitter account? Marvelous Mara W. Great. Um, and you also, you also you run your own site as well, don't you? Um, I am editor for nerdspan.com and I have a new tum or new WordPress that is going to be kind of focused on girly geeky things as soon as I've set a more post up. It's you know, getting married kind of hampers your internet time. <laughs> uh, so that, that site is marvelousmarw.wordpress.com. Awesome. Awesome. So you guys will, we'll, like um, we're gonna put the links to all of our stuff in in the show notes. Uh, obviously, you can find her. She writes reviews and columns for TalkingComicBooks.com as well. Check out that gender issues column. Comment on it. Uh, and Mara, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Of course, we'll Yay. talk to you later. Bye bye. Right. Bye Mara. Bye Mara. See ya. All right. So Mara, thanks again for thank you again Mara for joining us. Um, we are going to take a little break and we're gonna come back with some listener questions. All right, we are back. Thank you to Marty Langford and Tamara Whiteside for joining us for those two segments. Um, again, we're going to post all the information where you can read their stuff and you can get in contact with Marty and be able to uh, donate to his Indiegogo uh, in, in, the, in the blog post. But let's do some listener questions before we end this marathon uh, podcast. This first one comes in uh, from Michael, and he says... Hey, Talking Comics crew, I'm looking forward to the Daredevil releases this week, especially Dark Knights number one, featuring Lee Weeks on pencils. He's an artist I love, and I wish he was on a monthly book, like a S.H.I.E.L.D. spinoff or something like a Heroes for Hire, street-level kind of story. I'm always glad to see his name on something and try to pick up as much of it as I can. I was wondering if you guys like an artist who doesn't do a lot of work, and what sort of monthly book you like to see them working on. Bob. Art Adams. Who I've just loved for years. Uh, sadly, he his work is just so so detailed. Mm. They just never could get anything out. When he did, it, it was always on time, but just mm. not a lot. I, I remember talking once about Monkey Man and O'Brien, which he did. Very classic old style. It's certainly Kirby and Adams influenced. Love to see him do a, a long shots. Not doing anything right now, mm-hmm. and that's his character. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see another Art Adams long shot. Awesome, awesome. I mean, for me, uh, another actually older creator, uh, Jerry Ordway, is mm, someone yes. uh, just having 
read that power of Shazam. I, I read a couple months ago and, uh, reading some of the Superman stuff right now, which he does a, a bunch of, I would, I would love to see a monthly book and I'd love to see him doing Superman again. I, you know, I wouldn't see why it wouldn't be perfect for doing that again. Great uh, choice. So I would like to see Joey. What about you? Uh, we were talking about kingdom come before. I mean, Alex Ross is crazy. That kind of very painted style. Uh, he did Marvels as well with Kurt Busiek, which was one of my favorite books. Um, two of my, favorite artists that are actually doing ongoings right now are Jamie McElvey and uh, Olivier Coppel, mm-hmm. who, we were, who we were talking about before. So to see them on ongoings right now is kind of satisfying my desire to watch, uh, to watch, to see, look at what they draw. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of getting my fix there. But um, that kind of very grandiose style of an Alex Ross, uh, I do wish I saw more of um, in, in the comics today. Mm. Steve? Uh, I agree with the Koi Pol, uh comment. I I was so, 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 so stoked when I found out that he'd be on X-Men. There is a, there's an elegance to his characters and his lines. And his his women are beautiful. The, the men are, they look strong. They look, you know, fearsome. Loved, loved, loved his work on uh, Thor mm-hmm. a couple, you know, a couple years back and whatnot. And the other artist who has been off grid for uh, quite a while is Tim Sale. Mm-hmm. I, I mm. would love to see him come back in some capacity. Uh, I've tried to do a little bit of research. Don't know what he's doing, where he went, but I would love to see him make a make a comeback on on a bigger book. I think that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. And another one, actually, he's doing the because he sort of as part of a monthly book because he does the Shazam backups. But uh, Gary Frank who did Batman Earth 1 with mm-hmm. Jeff Johns, and he's done a lot of stuff with Jeff Johns, years and years and years of action, a long time with him and stuff. Uh, love to see him do more monthly mm-hmm. books. I love, I love the way he... he, he I love the, his look. Is very, he's very hyper-realistic in a, in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. you know, very fine line art, and I love that kind of look on superhero books. So. Yo, he did a great run with Peter David on Supergirl. Oh, okay. Way back when. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He draws super, like those super, the super family characters, amazing. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, would love to see him doing a, a monthly book uh, on that. But that's a great question, Michael. Thank you uh, very much for that. Um, this is this one comes in. Uh, this is what's his name? Oh, Joseph. Joseph. Uh, he says, uh, "How do you guys view things like the Ultimate Universe? Does it bother you that it's outside normal continuity? Books like Ultimate Comics Spider-Man, Ultimate Comics X-Men are such a breath of fresh air to me." Things can have some meaning here compared to Marvel 616, which involves, you know, the bigger stories. Uh, um, no Wolverine, no Cyclops, no, Pro- no Professor X to me. The freedom to make changes keeps the Ultimate Universe fresh compared to the mainline universe. Uh, the death of Peter Parker could never happen anywhere else. Oh, wait. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what do we think of the Ultimate Universe, Steve? I, I like it. I mean, I, the only one I think that I, I read, I was reading Ultimate uh, Comics X-Men for a time, and then uh, sort of fell off of it after two, three arcs. But I have been in love with Ultimate Comics Spider-Man uh, with Miles Morales since the start. And I personally would love to see more stories with these characters outside of continuity. Continuity sometimes drives me a little crazy. Mm-hmm. It also drives my wallet crazy. Uh, I would love to have some more stories that were kind of off doing their own thing and didn't always play into the bigger the bigger thing. I think you could have a grand adventure and it's just an adventure that they had and that's it. Mm. So yeah. 
What about you, Bob? Don't read the Ultimate Universe for the most part, but I love the idea of that as well as when they did the Spider Girl Universe or when you, they were telling the stories at DC about Earth Two, the, mm-hmm. the real Earth Two, not right. the one they're doing now. Yeah. It does free you up to tell whatever story you want. Mm-hmm. You're not dealing with the licensing aspects of oh, I've got to sell underoos, mm-hmm. I've got you know books to sell in the supermarket. No, it's here. Here's we're going to tell a good dramatic story. However it plays out, we'll go from there. Yeah, I mean, we talk about Kingdom Come. It's an Elseworld mm-hmm. story. Red Sun's mm-hmm. an Elseworld story. Those kind of tales, I think, being able to do those, we don't need to worry about the you know raping somebody's childhood for like a better term. Yeah. We, can do whatever, we can do whatever we want. Uh, Joey, what about you? I mean, I, I completely agree. I think that the Ultimate Universe and those kind of Earth Two and all of that works best when they're not trying to revamp or redo old stories because there was a time when particularly in the ultimate line they were kind of doing the clone saga and doing the phoenix saga with these younger more hip characters and i think that those don't work as well as something like the miles morales stuff where it's really fresh really innovative um really new uh comic storytelling and i think that's when it works the best Mm mm-hmm Absolutely. Uh, and one final question. This is from John. He says, greetings, Talking Comics crew. Uh, I know that most of the show is relatively new to comic reading, so I thought I'd ask, are there any major events, story arcs, writers, runs, or just general title that you wish you could have been collecting weekly to be part of the conversation at the time? He says, personally, I wish I had been able to hop on board Grant Morrison's Batman run from the start. Not to leave Bob out of the question. I'd love to know <laughs> if he's read anything that he missed originally that he had wished he, wish he had read when it had come out. Thanks. Keep up the great work, hmm. John D. Uh, Joey, do you have anything for us that comes to mind? Huh, that's a tough one. Um, a lot of the stuff that I picked up in like kind of the big trades, like you know Ed Brubaker's Cap, which I started, you know, collecting around twenty six. I wish I had picked up number one. Grant Morrison's X Men, Whedon's X Men, right? Um, a lot of the stuff from you know. The Clone Saga has kind of become a joke, but to actually have been able to collect those issues and be part of that kind of hoopla, I think would have been very exciting uh, <laughs> at the time and try to follow along with that. Now I can kind of just Wikipedia it and see what I can skip, but <laughs> at the time, trudging through all five or six years of that, I think would have been very interesting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, for, for me, m- mine would probably have been the same as John's, which would have been the Morrison Batman stuff that I went back and read it all, but that was all with the kind of prism of kind of knowing what the reaction was and, you know, going off partly off just reading it fresh and also people's reviews of it and all that stuff. And I had the reading order and I had the, this makes sense out of this and stuff like that. And I would have liked been part of that conversation. I mean, I also have been like, I also would have loved to have been reading it um, during, you know, the, uh, the, the initial w- one of the crises, you know, like to just, even though for good or ill to be kind of part of that kind of title change when it happened, I would, I would have been interested in, in being part of that. Uh, so that's mine. Steve, you got anything? Yeah. I, the only thing that I'm, um, it's coming to mind for me is journey into mystery. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. I, when I started to read that, I read, um, well, the Exiles was yeah. my, was my introduction into that. Yeah, the, the Gillen stuff you're talking about. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And I had to go back, and I had to. I have it all. I don't think I've still. I still haven't read all of it, but I read 
whatever from the exiles all the way mm-hmm. all the way back uh that is something that i wish that i was in on from the start but i wasn't even really actively reading comics right. when that was going down mm-hmm. so I mean, anything that's come along that I've wanted to be a part of, I've been fortunate enough to be a part of it, mm-hmm. uh, event-wise and, and whatnot. There's really not too much that I've missed, so I can't complain. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to be ridiculous here. Why not? Um, <laughs> since I've been around for basically all of the Silver Age, mm-hmm. reading <laughs> books when that began, I have to go back to what was before. Mm-hmm. I would have mm-hmm. loved to have been a 10-year-old kid and seen Action Comics 1 on the newsstand, Detective 27, the first Wonder Woman in Sensation. Hmm. Yeah. You know, Marvel Comics 1 with the Human Torch and Submariner in that first issue. Superheroes? What are, what are these things? Yeah. That they were absolutely branded. There had been nothing like that before. Mm-hmm. If I was going to go for, you know, insanely crazy, that would be it. Otherwise, the book I, of recent vintage that I'm saddest that I never started with was Sandman. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. That's a yeah. really yeah. good one. Yeah. I mean, for me too, the, like the big stuff. Like, I would have liked to been around, like when, like say, like Dark Knight Returns was coming out, to kind of feel that excitement that was happening in the moment, and not just the kind of cerebral excitement of being like, "Oh, this is great," but yeah. this is kind of what yeah. I expect, you know. And but to see it fresh and to see it new, I would have been very excited. Watchmen, the same thing. Yeah, Watchmen. You know, th- those kind of things. I would have been. I, I would have loved to have been around for the be on the ground level of stuff like that. Different era too, just because without the internet, yeah, it came out and each all you had was the blurb. Mm-hmm. Next issue, right? <laughs> I have to be there. I yeah, I'm not going to find out a month before. No spoilers. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of the Silver Age stuff, I would have loved to have been there when the the Flash. You know when they when the, the new the reboot of the Flash and then the crossover of the universe and everything like that. I would have loved to have been around reading books as a kid. Reading those books, I think it would have blown my mind as a kid. I still remember my father. I was I was a sickly kid, sort of a sickly adult too. But that's besides the <laughs> point. Um, laying on the couch watching television on a Saturday morning, my father brought in Flash one thirty seven, and I had had a couple of flashes, but I hadn't gotten one twenty three. There are two flashes on the cover having a fist fight. Well, who's that guy, Dan? <laughs> well, why don't you read it and find out? What are you asking me for? Read the book, will you? Oh, man. He looks like Mercury. He's got this helmet. Mm. What's going on here? And then that there was another team of superheroes, the Justice Society. Threw me forever. There's another book. I wish I had all, I have all the All-Stars in hardcover, but boy. Yeah. Right. Anyway, anyway. I mean, now that we're talking about it, I kind of wanted to be there for everything. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's like Gwen Stacy, Green Arrow, and Green Lantern; those team ups. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh my goodness! Now that we're having the conversation, yeah. Uh, you know, oh, it, it was I fun. I could have skipped the uh, uh, the image, the heroes reborn stuff. <laughs> I did. Yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely did. Skip I could. Uh, we'll, we'll have a show one of these days. I could have skipped image entirely. <laughs> that that version of image, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the, yeah, not yeah, the current one. You're talking about the the founding yeah. version yeah. of image. Yeah. Joey just gave me a really good idea for for a show. I'll tell you afterwards. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's a little teaser for you guys out yeah, there yeah. out there at home. All right. Uh, we don't even know. So <laughs> yeah. I know. So thank you guys very much for writing in again. Info at talkingcomicbooks.com at talkingcomics on Twitter or uh, facebook.com slash talkingcomics. And TalkingComicBooks.com is the website. Got a couple more questions still. We got some Facebook questions. We'll get to those next week. I promise you guys. Uh, 
So the what's coming out this week right now from Abstract Studios, we have Rachel Rising, number 17. Yeah. Oh, poor Stephanie's not here. I know. <laughs> um, Avatar <laughs> Press, we have Caligula, Heart of Rome, number 5. Crossed Badlands, number 30. Fashion Beast, number 10. And Uber, number 2. Um, that was quick. Yeah. From Boom Studios, we have got... Uh, Garfield number 14. We've got Hero Bear and the Kid Special number one. Mm. Hypernaturals number 12. Planet of the Apes Cataclysm number 10. Polarity number three of four. And Suicide Risk number two. From Dark Horse Comics, we have Abe Sapien number three. We have um, Empowered Special number four. Yes. Uh, We've got. Let's see where we go. A lot of collections. We have Mr. X Eviction, number two. Nice. Um, we've got the second arc of Michael Avon Oming's The Victories, number two. Uh, we've got Misty Circus, hardcover. Uh, Star Wars Dark Times Fire Carrier, number five of five. Um, from DC, we have Action Comics, number 21. Emmy Common Girls, number four. Astro City, number one. Batwing, mm-hmm. number 21. Detective Comics, number 21. Dial H, number 13. Django Unchained, number 4 of 7. Earth 2, number 13. Ferris, number 16. Green Arrow, number 21. Green Lantern, number 21, which is the first not Jeff Johns Green Lantern book in 10 years. <laughs> That's a good years. way to put it. Yeah. Yep. Um, so it might be a good time to jump on. People have been wanting to jump on Green Lantern and felt kind of intimidated by it. Uh, Legends of the Dark Knight, number 9. Looney Tunes, number 213. Uh, the Movement, number 2. Yeah. We got Scooby Doo, Where Are You, number 34, Stormwatch, number 21, Swamp Thing, number 21, and Trinity of Sin, The Phantom Stranger, number 9. Um, from Dynamite Entertainment, we have Black Bat, number 2, Dark Shadows, number 17, Deja Thoris and the Green Men of Mars, number 4. We got Garth Ennis' Red Team, number 3. Kirky Genesis Dragon's Bane, number four. Dragon's Bane. <laughs> Lone Ranger, number 15. Miss Fury, number three. My favorite. Spider, number 12. <laughs> and Warlords of Mars, number 23. And Warlords of Mars, Deja Thoris, number 25. <laughs> um, from IDW, we have Colonized, number three of four. We have Haunted Horror, number five. We've got Lock and Key Omega, number five of seven. Yay. Um... There's also, by the way, there's also a rumor that the, that team is going to be doing a book at either Marvel or DC. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No word on what it would be, but there's that rumor. Uh, people are speculating that it might be Doctor Strange. That's what people what? are speculating, yeah. Yeah. That'd be a good one if that's the case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Color Classics, number 11, Transformers. Robots in Disguise? Yes. Oh, two in a row. Nice. And the hardcover of Willemthology Space is coming out. Sweet. Uh, from Image Comics, we have 68 Jungle Gym, number three of four. All new Secret Skull Kickers, number one. Bedlam, number seven. Blackacre, number seven. Darkness, number 113. East of West, number three. Yes. Uh, Invincible Universe, number three. Mice Templar 4, Legend, number three. Perhapanauts, Danger Down Under, number five. Savage Dragon, number 188. Son of Merlin, number five. Spawn, number 232. And 10 Grand, number 
two. Yeah. Uh, from Marvel Comics, we have Age of Ultron number nine, All New X Men number twelve, Avengers number thirteen, Avengers Arena number ten, Cable and X Force number nine, Daredevil <laughs> Dark Knights number one of eight, Daredevil End of Days number eight of eight. No! Light week, Steve. Light week. Yeah. Dark Tower, yeah. The Gunslinger, Evil Ground number two of two. We have Fearless Defenders number five. Yes. Iron Man number eleven, Kickass three number one. Uh, we've got Red She Hulk number sixty six. Oh, one more after that one. Um, Superior Spider Man number eleven. Yeah. Thanos Rising number three of five. Thunderbolts number ten. Ultimate Ugh. Comics The Ultimates number twenty five. <laughs> Winter Soldier number nineteen. Final no! issue. <laughs> Joey is having I his Darth Vader moment. How <laughs> to eat Marvel? <laughs> hey, you see the. Posted some pictures of what he what Bucky yeah. is going to look like, and it's yeah. pretty yeah, cool. I just yeah, wept openly. <laughs> so, well, uh, are you? I mean, I know you're sad about the ending, Joey, but are you? Do you think this last issue is going to live up? Uh, yeah, I think so, and I think we'll see a a follow up, whether it's a relaunch or a predominant. Hey, maybe he's in Mighty. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Maybe uh, in the very near future, given given the publicity of the film. Yeah, absolutely. They don't tend to let their movie characters fall into obscurity when their movies are yeah. coming out. Um, we've got uh, we got Wolverine season one is coming out. Uh, the ridiculous Wolverine, the Adamantium collection, which is this two hundred dollar <laughs> hardcover thing that's gigantic that collects like a bunch of the essential Wolverine stories all into one big uh, collection. X Factor hmm. number two fifty seven. So it begins. So yes. it begins. Um, from Valiant, we have Archer and Armstrong, number 10, and Shadow Man, number 7. And from Zenoscope, we have Grim Fairy Tales Presents Demons, the Unseen, number 1, The Jungle Book, Last of the Species, number 4, and Screwed, number 1. <laughs> Is that Dickens? You know, they've dropped, oh, I don't the, know. They've dropped the G out of it. That <laughs> I have no idea. Okay. Um, so uh, that's it for the releases for this week. Uh, before we go, though, uh, we want to. Steve wants to send out a special thank you. A listener did something very nice for us. Hello. Yeah. It's Steve again. I don't know why the hell I just said that. <laughs> they know who you are. This yeah. Over three hours, I think they know who you are. So I would like to send uh, take this time to send a personal thank you uh, on behalf of the group, our uh, friend and fan and listener, Mr. Joshua Curtin, was kind enough to send a package to my home and in said package was uh, comic book related gifts for everyone in the podcast minus Stephanie. Well, everyone who lives in New, in New <laughs> York. Everyone who lives in New York got some gifts. Yeah. Uh, Bobby got a Serenity trade. Bob got a copy of Fantastic Four number 570 signed by Jonathan Hickman. Ooh, thank you, And Joshua. I was gifted uh, one through five of Flashpoint. Mm-hmm from josh and we just it's overwhelming to think and this was just this was a just because this Mm -hmm. was because he enjoys the show he enjoys the site he likes what we do and it was just very touching and overwhelming to have received a gift like this and to know that there are people out there that really do enjoy the show they enjoy us our personalities our takes on all these things all our rants and all our championing, complaining, everything that we do. Uh, it was just such a nice gesture. And honestly, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you very, very much for, for your gift. Um, they will go well read. Yes, they will. Uh, so here we go. This is the description of Screwed 
from okay. Zenoscope. <laughs> a young woman awakens in a hospital covered in scars as if she's been taken apart and put back together again. Her mind what? is as fragmented as her body, leaving her delusional and seeing monsters everywhere. Is this the work of a serial killer or something far worse? FBI agent Aaron Scott intends to help her find out with or without the approval of her supervisors in this visionary, modern, mature reimagining of the Frankenstein legend from acclaimed artist-creator Tyler Kirkham, New Guardians, Teen Titans, Amazing Spider-Man. Terrified. I'm terrified. What does the (laughs) cover look like? Uh, You know, it's a scope cover. That's what I thought. Uh, there's like there's one she's that's got that hospital gown, but she's wearing it the other way around. So. Yeah. bolts and boobs, Bob. Yeah. yeah, I mean the, the this main one they have here is not too bad. It's pretty actually not bad. It's bloody, but it's not very well, compared uh, to most of theirs. No, yeah, that's not. But, but they have the variant ones that are you know very booby. <laughs> less and less clothes. Yeah, less and less clothes. Doctor Frankenstein couldn't have created that one to the left there because she yeah. would just keel over frontwards. Yeah, with her the giant boobs. All right, so <laughs> that that is it for the tongue com. Talking Comics podcast for this week. If you want to get in touch with us personally, I'm at Bobby Shortle on Twitter. Steve. Mine is at dead underscore anchorus. Bob. Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. And Joey, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, you can tweet at me at Joey Bracino, J O E Y B R A C C I N O. All right. Awesome. And Joey, thank you again so much for joining us tonight. And, no problem. And Anytime. It's awesome to have you. So that is it for the Talking Comics podcast for Steve. Yo, yo. Bob. Good night. And Joey. Have a good night. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. <laughs>